wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? I'd bet my webbing on it, Doug. Oh. <laughs> Man, if I got webbing to bet. <laughs> oh. We'd like to thank a quick moment to thank our spectacular patrons, Bo, Carl, Eric, Katie, Jason, Zoe, and Bread. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, boy. We're starting with that line, and we're certainly going to end with that line today. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh, before we go forward, though. Uh-huh. We had uh, word snappers words. We did, right? and I fucked them up. I didn't fuck up the words, Wait, really? but the meaning of the words. I like completely used them oh. in the opposite way because yeah, the last really week. So if people re- if people caught that and were like, "What the fuck does he mean?" Uh, last week's word snappers words were non-human biologics submitted by Katie, uh, one of our patrons, and in- I replaced humans with non-human biologics which is the exact opposite of the sentiment of the lizards trying to get rid of the humans but you know what i just moved we moved (laughs) it's just very funny because that's a whole episode full of non-human biologics that was like the whole premise of it that's what made it we even talked about that before we started recording like wow it's so perfect that katie sent these words i know now on this night they they were recording an episode full of lizards i mean they could have looked ahead of you know what episodes were coming up they they are just currently very obsessed with the non-human biologics and like interdimensional beings dropped in that in that hearing Duh, that's what it's referring to. Yes. That didn't even, you know, that, that's what's funny. That didn't even click with me. But like, yeah. yeah, of course, of course, that's what it's about. But it's still just like, literally, we even talked about like, I yeah, know. it's an episode full of fucking lizard people. And There's still. literally a bomb in that episode that is meant to target specifically non-human biologics. Doug. Yeah. yeah and it's funny, really. too, because the like seconds after I said it, I was like, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I didn't want to like draw attention to it or like stop. <laughs> right. And I was like, should I call him out on that? But then it's just sort of like, but then it's a whole conversation about <laughs> the word snappers words, which are supposed to just be fun Slipped words, in. fun words that patrons submit that we just slip into the conversation. And it's like, I, it kind of ruins the whole game of it all. If we're just sort of like having a conversation <sighs> breaking down what those words mean. So it's like. Yeah, you put us in a really awful situation. Thanks uh, and for that's that. why I'm turning in my resignation today. I'm so sorry, everybody. I failed okay. this podcast. Uh, and I failed all of our patrons. <laughs> finally. The day I've been waiting for has finally come. He's gone, everyone. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Katie, for submitting those words. If you would like to uh, submit some words for us to slip into the episode uh, better than I did last week, uh, you can do that at any patron level uh, starting at just $1 a month. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, we're at the final episode of the season. It's a no. bummer. I mean, it's, yeah. Well, yeah, it's a bummer because the season fucking rules and it's too short yeah. of a season. Um, I mean, I, we went on a whole, whole like thing about it last week. That it's just like, it's just been a good season. Mm-hmm. Last few weeks, honestly, really. It's like even the worst episodes of this, of this season 
have still given us like really good conversation and the majority of the episodes have been really good. I think the season, this, this season ends on a weird note. I feel like this is a weird, uh, weird final yeah, episode of this season. Uh, I for, would certainly say so. And not really. I also think kind of a middling one, unfortunately. Um, not one of the best ones of the season either. No, um, there's really good stuff in here, but like there are just some sure. details that are like, we could have tightened that up, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, like it's not what's funny is that like it was never uncommon for cartoons especially around this time to just like have seasons that just ended arbitrarily just because they reached the end of their episode order oh, especially sure. when it's like you know a season like this where it's really been a lot of standalones so it's not uncommon it's just funny with the with this show that it established for the past couple of seasons of like having big blowout finales at mm-hmm. the end of their season and then getting to this one i mean it feels appropriate given how strange this season really has been with the sort of like we're not really doing an arc thing really for this season. We're just dealing with a lot, a lot of continuity and loose ends and just like a bunch of standalones that are loosely tied together continuity wise, but mostly just dealing with a different thing every week that happens <laughs> to be tying up everything that we, you know, everything that's been set up in the past. So like, it does make sense that, that this is not the one that this is not a season that ends in a big finale, but, but it if, is weird that the last episode isn't really tying in a lot of with that, stuff. That, that part. Cause I was going to say, does it yeah. really make sense as the finale to this no. season? If one of the main things has been like yeah. pulling from already established lore and either tying it up or building on top of it. Cause this one yeah. doesn't do that. <laughs> what this one feels like to me, what this feels like to me, um, cause we'll talk about, but it's, it's an episode that basically is like, this is basically like about a backdoor pilot for a Prowler TV show. Which really would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I do think that what this feels like to me is less like playing into what this season needed or anything thematically yeah. or anything like that. And more that, as we talked about kind of at the top of the season, they they knew that it was a 65 episode order and it was more than likely that once they reached the end at 65 episodes, the season, the show would be over and wouldn't get renewed for any more just because of Fox's. Yeah. And I think Avi Arad's and everyone's kind of not great relationship with John Semper, no matter how, <laughs> no matter how successful the show was. I think John Semper, like this his, has said himself, like they just they, they didn't work together very well. And I don't think they wanted to work with them. They, they wanted to work with him anymore. So I think it was sort of at this point in the show, it's like we know how much time we have left. And I think they probably roughly had a rough sketch of what season five would be and how much room they were going to have. And so I think this was literally the last chance for what I'm guessing. This is me speculating, but I'm guessing that John wanted to have Prowler on the show at some point, And this was literally the last chance to get him into it because John has talked about many, many times mm-hmm. that he uh, wanted to have like spot, like, light black superheroes who had not been in animation. And he did that with rocket racer. He did that with blade. And in both of those cases, I mean, the blade episodes are good and very heavily tied into the story arc, but rocket racer and this episode kind of feel like a piece of each other because rocket racer also is an episode that I think we talked about, like felt weirdly like a backdoor pilot and like had, um, you know, the titular rocket racer as essentially like the main protagonist of that story. And Spider-Man, if anything, is just kind of like incidental (laughs) in it really. Um, and this episode is structured way differently than rocket racer and doesn't have a lot of the same sort of things to say, but it still feels like it's like Prowler had never been 
in animation before. It's another like black superhero that is still an important part of Spider-Man lore as well. Like has been a frequent character in Spider-Man history, but has never been shown outside of the comics. So it's like, this is your last chance essentially to get an episode where Prowler's in the show before, you know, going into the final arcs of the series. Yeah, for sure. I I think it makes sense. It's just a weird placement of it. Exactly. Primarily what's weird about this episode is just when it occurs. Like, I think you have a really good theory on like why it happens right here. Um, But like, it's just weird that it's the finale. Um, And it's weird. That's not really connected to anything. I'm happy that, and I think it's really cool that this episode exists. Like I'm glad it's part of the series and it's part of what we get to talk about. Um, And it does feel if I have a, a, you know, even a little bit of a finger on the pulse of John Semper, like I do feel like this feels very much like a John Semper type episode based on some of those other things you cited and the things that like some of the things he seems like he's wanted to say through the show um, outside of like a standard superhero um, or really sort of like, I don't know, at at points almost watered down superhero um, Mm -hmm. environment. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's cool in that sense, but it's a weird placement. And um, if I, if I'm excited, this episode exists, I wish that it had really been like, the the really amazing episode that I imagine he wanted it to be, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely wish it had been better than what it, what it yeah. is. But we can yeah. we can talk about it. it's yeah. not a, it's not a trash fire or anything. Not like even that, close. But there's there's definitely a lot of potential in it. Um. So well, yeah, we can we can talk about it. Yeah. We can watch it. Still Disney Plus, of course. The episode we're talking about: Spider Man, the animated series, season four, episode eleven, entitled "Partners in Danger," chapter eleven, "The Prowler." My new neighborhood. There's no place like home. Come on, Parker. You only just moved here. Give the place a chance. It might not be so bad after all. What the? Took you long enough to get back home. What do you want? You have something I need, and you are going to give it to me. Understand? Because I know all about you, Parker. You and Spider-Man. So, you're the man I owe for my son's well-being. I... I had no idea he was the son of the kingpin. I always make good on my debts, Mr. Brown. Name your price. Gold, jewels, power. Ah. And let me show you my latest toy. I call it the Stealth Battlesuit. Instant power. It is yours for the asking. I felt like a wild animal on the prowl, so I decided to call myself the Prowler. Bad news is, there's no way to get you out of it without setting off the self-destruct bomb. The good news? Who said there was any good news? The synopsis per IMDb is, Hobie Brown has always wanted power. After he saves Kingpin's son, Kingpin offers him a new battle suit. Hobie soon takes on the name The Prowler. But when Kingpin double-crosses him, Hobie turns to Spider-Man for help. The original air date was August 2nd, 1997. Story by, of course, John Semper. Um, the teleplay, of co- uh, however, is uh, by someone we've never seen before, Terrence Taylor. <laughs> and this is actually Taylor's only episode of the show, which is an interesting. It's been yep. an interesting theme for the last three episodes. Bit of a streak. Yeah, it's been like either freelance writers or like someone else on staff like has participated in it. Last two has specifically been people writing the teleplay. So I really do think it was sort of like production's getting crazy. They're wrapping up stuff. They just <laughs> needed to get a couple of freelancers yeah. to just crank out these scripts, it seems like. Um, 
And, and Taylor actually has a, had a pretty relatively small career. Um, he worked in the 80s and 90s. There's really only a few episode credits. Hmm. Um, he he worked on, like, You Can't Do That on Television. He worked on Arthur. He worked on Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd Century. But, like, in all cases, it's only, like, a few episodes on each. There was hmm. never anything that he was on for, like, a significant amount of time. Yeah. Um, and then he was also a digital color engineer on a couple projects it, this in, in the year that this episode comes out in 97 yeah um and that's all that i could find on him that's really huh. all the all that he seems to have done at least at least what's documented on imdb all so, right i don't know what's up terrence yeah. <laughs> um it's so funny to me i mean obviously the highlighted character here is hobie brown aka the prowler but what's so funny is this synopsis from imdb that just starts with hobie brown has always wanted power is mm-hmm. such a wild sentence for people who are only kind of learning about the character of Hobie Brown via the Spider-Verse movies, you know what I mean? <laughs> like a totally oh, sure. different version of Hobie Brown from a totally different yeah. universe. Um, it is so funny that like Hobie Brown as a character has essentially been like split in half. Yeah. Like the Prowler half of him has become the, the Aaron Davis thing, which is who is a very different character from Hobie Brown. And then Hobie Brown has become... Spider Punk, who is a very different character from the original Hobie the Brown, the opposite so, like, of a character who has always wanted yeah, power. <laughs> like the original Hobie Brown Prowler, like basically doesn't exist in adaptations anymore. Like he's yeah. just like been completely split of these two like characters who are kind of him in name only. Yeah, but I think in yeah, like it's just it's just so interesting. It's really fascinating. <laughs> Um, I I do think I've seen plenty of people pointing out that like, Hey, just, you know, Hobie Brown has been other characters too. So I don't think that, I don't think people are unaware of it, but it is just a funny sentence to read, uh, given recent events. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Hobie Brown, AKA the Prowler in this show is voiced by Tim Russ, which is so cool to me. So fucking cool. Um, (laughs) I was not expecting it. This is the first time the Prowler, uh, or Hobie Brown in, in this case, they were one in the same, uh, only, uh, has appeared outside of the comics, like you mentioned, which is really cool. So it's, it, I think it makes sense that they got somebody like Tim Russ to be the voice, right? Like mm-hmm. having a bit of star power behind this first appearance outside of comics makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah. He's almost certainly recognizable to most people as either Tuvok from Star Trek Voyager or Principal Franklin on iCarly. Like if you recognize this guy, it's probably from one of those two things. He's done plenty yeah. of stuff, but those are two huge things. And he's recently reprised those characters in both of their respective sequel series. Uh, in the case of Star Trek, Picard. Um, and in the case of iCarly, iCarly. <laughs> has the same name. Yeah. Yeah. And th- this episode would have come out like when Voyager was like yes. on the air in the middle of its run. Yes. So people like this. Yeah, he was he was a known a known actor right. when this episode comes out. Yeah. And he's a cool guy, like especially in the context of Star Trek. He like, I guess, like before being on, this isn't that weird, but before being on Star Trek, he was like a huge Star Trek fan. And I guess like was particularly interested in like Vulcan culture uh, through Star Trek. So it's cool that he goes on to be uh, a famous Vulcan in the franchise. And he also was like a major driving force and director of a pretty successful crowdsourced fan production called Star Trek Renegades, which was, I guess, Mm -hmm. supposed to be submitted to CBS as like a spec TV pilot um, to Mm -hmm. sort of like revive uh, or like kind of take 
uh, Star Trek in a new direction on television. Um, that didn't sure. happen, but the film uh, slash pilot is currently available on YouTube. If that sounds like something uh, interesting to folks, I I checked in with uh, one of our friends of the pod, Eric Berry, who's a huge Trekkie, and said, "Hey, is this a big deal? This this Star Trek Renegades? Do you know what it is?" And he was like, "Oh yeah, no, that was like that was definitely a noteworthy fan production. <laughs> so it's nice. cool that he like drove that and directed that and." Just a fun fact, one of his earliest credits was as the Spaceballs trooper who delivers the line, we ain't found shit. <laughs> That's so funny. I did not realize that that was him. That's I don't know hilarious. how I ever would have known. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that's kind of our big, big character here. Um, we also meet a few other people. Uh, we have Angela who is, uh, voiced by Anne Marie Johnson. She is the girlfriend, ex-girlfriend of Hobie Brown. Um, Angela, the character, obviously, uh, not Anne Marie Johnson. That's a real person. Uh, we previously talked about her in our episode 112, which was the attack of the Octobot episode when she voiced the cab driver, Mousy. Remember Mousy? Um, yeah, I remember Mousy. Yeah. Mousy was cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, and when we talked about her, we mentioned that she uh, was on What's Happening Now in Living Color, Melrose Place, Jag, so uh, all kinds of stuff. We are also yeah. introduced to a character named Iceberg here, <laughs> who I don't think i'd ever he's, heard of he's made for the show he's not he's not oh, a, he's not a comic he character. appears they, they either he appears after the show in comics or there's like a totally separate um, character it's do you think there's a two, there's a character who was created in 2007 i think Dan and it's Slott independent of this like, com, has not it's a hero with like what is it the the libertines or something uh. i don't know but yeah it's it's some um it's some teen oh hell yeah okay iceberg this is has exciting. nothing to do with this guy this is exciting news to me derek because i checked just I, I i just did the sort of like most basic like iceberg marvel search to see if anything else came up and there was other stuff that came up so i was like oh okay like i thought maybe we got like a cartoon exclusive villain here mm-hmm. uh and then was like oh i guess not but we do <laughs> we do so uh, I can love this this man. <laughs> sure. Uh, but Iceberg yeah. here is voiced by Lawrence A. Mandley. Um, he also had like a pretty, although he's still active, pretty modest acting career. He's appeared in single episodes of tons of recognizable TV shows since the 80s through the present. Um, his two most recurring roles on TV were as Larry the Cook uh, in a half dozen episodes of Seinfeld. And when I looked it up, I was like, oh, I do actually recognize him. Um, I think at some point he ends up taking over monks the restaurant that they're always at not sure oh right right Um, yeah that makes sense but i do think you'd recognize him if you watch enough seinfeld even though he's not on a ton of episodes um and then a character named jumpsuit johnson on eight episodes of disney's zeke and luther and that whole sentence means nothing to me so never in my life heard of that show so (laughs) not a clue (laughs) not a clue um and then this isn't really a big character but we've mentioned rodney salisbury voicing uh characters the past couple weeks uh and he voices one here named henry um and rodney salisbury of course is our robbie in this series uh and was monitor in the lizard king episode we just talked about i gotta be honest i was like who the hell is henry who is this guy and then it oh, took me a while he's like two lines yeah but... it, then it clicked on who this guy was yeah, yeah. um I mean, Hobie forgets who this guy is at the end of the episode, but we'll get to that. Uh, Forgets that he Uh exists. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But we've got got a little while before we get to that point. So why don't we start talking about the episode? Let's do it. So this episode opens with Spider-Man swinging through his and Peter's new neighborhood uh, because he had to find a new place to live. 
and yeah. in this new neighborhood, he's getting harassed by some dudes who are loitering in an alley. And then he stops a young pawn shop burglar and wonders why somebody his same age is throwing his life away, uh, burgling a pawn shop. And for a second, Derek, for a yeah. second, I thought yeah. that this yeah. next thought that Peter was going to have uh, where he's like reflecting on the danger in his neighborhood and reflecting on like how he can protect himself as Spider-Man. But I thought the next thing was going to be, but not everybody's a superhero. So I can see why some people might turn to, you know, crime or, or feel pressured into, no, that's not at all where he goes. And I was <laughs> yeah. hoping so bad it was, cause it would have been sort of like the, the successor to a lot of what he was supposed to be learning um, in that rocket racer episode, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's it's interesting because i feel like yeah because this episode kind of because my first response was sort of like well of course they wouldn't have talked about that this is like a 1997 spider-man show but i'm like but they literally but they have, have though <laughs> like they the rocket racer episode is, is all about like and that's Robbie an episode and his that, son like, and tombstone and stuff they sometimes touch on those types of things too right that's a th- i mean that's a reason that i think like is we we stick up for the rocket racer stuff i yeah. think more than any other i think person who's ever watched the show has ever done because like it it has really interesting thoughtful and kind of nuanced things to say about about why people would turn to a life of crime and how you know being lower class can like kind of forces you into that situation and that, yeah. that you're kind of like and people really get stuck in like the cycle of of uh, of, of of being a criminal that's in a way that's really not their own that their fault you right, know right. just because of like just because of of classism and and the way that capitalism works and like institutional racism as well mm-hmm. so like yeah and and so so it this could have been an episode that did kind of sort of touch on that maybe in a different way but it really doesn't <laughs> like i think what's what i think frustrates you a little it, bit too is ever that like so slightly for a moment but then like doesn't moment, really but, really I mean, deliver I think on that th- a problem with this episode is that, like, I want to like the Prowler, but Hobie kind of sucks throughout most of the episode, and in a way that, like, I feel like is kind of his fault, you know? Like, <laughs> it isn't a thing where he's, like, it's, like, it's, like, tragic, you know, it's where it's, like, oh, well, circumstances led him to this position. It's more just, like, the guy's just kind of an asshole, and then at the end of the episode learns to be less an asshole. And so, like, they kind of aren't really going for the same thing I that get, they I, do in Rocket Racer, you know? Like, we could talk I about it. I see where you're coming from, but I think there's a conversation there as we get, as we I'm go sure. through here. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm open to have a conversation about that, but I do think that 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 the opening of the episode feels weird to me because it's like it's Spider-Man talking about like uh, this part of town and a very like this is the bad part of the neighborhood thing, mm-hmm. which is like it's in that that's such a that's such a it's such a coded phrase, right? Because yep. it's usually white people saying that they're in a black neighborhood you Basically, know what i mean yeah. is usually what it is black neighborhood and or a poor neighborhood right. in most cases both when someone's saying that and like it's one of those things there's a sort of like you know there are places in cities that are higher crime and by you know by the numbers more dangerous to be in in that you are more likely to see crime happening or you know yeah. be the subject of it or something like that like that is a true fact but there's also like often a lot of racist racist undercurrents in someone saying that as well mm-hmm. um and especially spider-man who isn't literally living there is just swinging through on his way home just being like oh in this part of town it's so awful um and then the show just kind of showcasing just like just robbers just and and street gangs just running all over the place and attacking people randomly you know like it's it's a weird it's a weird place to start and then spider-man has a line where he's just like 
oh, you know, I've been superheroing, but have I completely lost touch with real life on the streets? And, and which is like, I don't know. It feels weird seeing well, Spider-Man say something like that. And I don't really it's weird. know what he even means. It's weird, too, <laughs> because he's literally saying he's in a new neighborhood. So, like, the life on the streets he's currently experiencing as a new resident of this place is not the same. Like, it's not, it's new to him, clearly, based on how he's commenting yeah. on it. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure. But it is it is weird, and I was really hoping that it would be the follow-up to... Because one of our biggest sort of, like, comments on the Rocket Racer episode, as far as Spider-Man was concerned, was that he didn't seem to be learning any sort of, like, lesson, um, even right. though Rocket Racer was going through a whole journey. So it would have been cool to see it here. Um, but his whole thing on, like, oh, well, Spider-Man can protect himself, so, like, I, as Spider-Man, don't need to resort to crime. Like, he doesn't follow that thought up where I hoped it would be, which is to have empathy uh, and trying to understand these people who are stuck in that cycle you're talking about. Instead, he's just right. sort of, like, Oh my gosh, I can protect myself, but Mary Jane can't. <laughs> like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it's also just sort of like you're moving Mary Jane. Like, what? I mean, like, why are you acting like she has no say in in this? Like, you're, you're like, especially you're, you're based on what we learn later, right? Like, he's at treat. I mean, I guess this is more like the typical Peter Parker guilt thing, right? Where it's just like, yeah, he's basically just like taking. He's 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 taking the worst uh, perspective on all of this and just being like, I made a mistake. I'm responsible for for everything that could be, that bad. Everything that could potentially happen that is bad will all be on me acting like Mary Jane like was not an equal partner in this decision, which we see later like she absolutely 100% was. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's in mm -hmm. I think it is in character for him, but like he doesn't really and I guess he yeah. does. He does sort of learn that later, I guess, that like he doesn't need to be freaking out in that way. Um, But he doesn't really learn anything else. Well, about everything else that he's the thing, saying. though, is like this isn't necessarily a show where he like learns episode to episode all the time. So like, yeah. sure he might learn something by the end of the episode. Um, but that's yeah. not necessarily going to, and who knows, maybe I'm forgetting that it does carry into the next season, but I, I don't imagine that that lesson is going to inform all of his decisions and conversations with Mary Jane moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Also the fact that he questions whether he should have proposed to her at Dude. all based on this whole situation somewhere Anna Watson is sneezing over a cup of tea and feeling great about herself and has no idea why <laughs> he spirals so quickly. It's just like, so fast. Oh, this is a bad neighborhood. Should I move Mary Jane here? Maybe I don't even have a right to marry her. I'm like, where did the hell did that come from? Like, what are you talking right? about? <laughs> Gosh, it's funny too. Jeez. Like, like he better hope that Mary Jane never brings her aunt to their home. Oh boy. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh. Mary Jane would, she doesn't care. She's like, whatever, we'll make the best, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But Anna won't see it that way, yeah. and Peter's not seeing it that. Way. Actually, this could be the one thing Anna and Peter bond over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is being weirdly kind of racist about their neighborhood. <laughs> Well, when Peter returns to his new love nest, uh, as he refers to it, I guess, does he refer to it like that? Or did you? I don't well, he says he says some love nest oh, when he walks into his new that's apartment. That's what it is. Got Sarcastically. It. Sarcastically. Gotcha. Well, when he returns there, he's immediately attacked by a masked and caped figure in purple and green. The Prowler, who says he knows all about Peter and Spider-Man. Dun, dun, dun. <gasps> Fade to commercial break. What could he mean? 
Obviously, he means he knows Peter's secret identity. That's all anyone ever means when they say those words. <laughs> it's never a thing where they can pull the rug out from under you. They didn't just do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we come back from commercial and he explains because I uh, it's it's not that he thinks Peter and Spider-Man are one and the same. Of course, obviously, it's that they coordinate otherwise impossible photo shoots and split the cash, which is, yeah, like the the, the worst kept secret in New York uh, is, is this sort of fake uh, undercover or this uh, this fake cover that Peter has yeah. about his relationship with Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Peter's like, OK, well, who are you? What do you want? What's going on? And the prowler was like. All right, well, I'll show you and you'll know what's going on. And he like unmasks, which is sort of like, okay, wow, it's, it's interesting. Um, and he shows his face, which is meant to be like a big a dramatic un- to Hobie. He assumes it will be a big dramatic unmasking and suddenly it'll all become clear. But it's a very funny moment, honestly, because Peter's just sort of like, I mean, he literally says, I've never seen you before in my life. Wild, <laughs> wild. Also, it's it's very very funny, but this is definitely a thing to like take a note of because uh, as as the story sort of unfolds, this scene where he is confronted by the Prowler and confronted by Hobie's face uh, is kind of fascinating later on, based on some of the things that Peter does remember uh, that happened oh, sure. before this interaction. It's like, actually, I didn't even think about that. That is a very good point. Yeah, like. Yeah, the, the structure of this episode is really interesting because it sort of ends up setting it up to be almost kind of like a noir kind of thing where it's like characters, you know, re sort of like narrating over flashbacks over a story that happened in the past, you know. And I respect um, so it. I just, I respect if you're going to do setup, it, you know, it, you got to be real clean. Yeah, it ends up not because they, they want to start start Peter off at a place where you're worries with the audience and sort of learning, you know, about, about the prowler as you, as the audience are learning about it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really work. If you then go into the flashback and there's an entire story that involves Peter Spider-Man and the prowler. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that, but that kind of unravels a lot in this episode. Doesn't oh, it? that's the biggest thing that stood out to me. Cause there's a point in the episode yeah. later where Peter contributes to the sort of like noir let's narrate over flashbacks and it's right. like you shouldn't be able to do that but i'm getting ahead of myself yeah <laughs> i just think it's important because i'm i'm going to bring it up when it specifically happens it is important to note that peter has no idea who this man is in or out of costume <laughs> yeah yeah i do think i will one thing i will say that this line kind of contributes to it that i can one thing that i think makes me tell that this is a teleplay written by a writer who's never written on the show before is that there are like particular lines and quips Ooh. and like jokes that feel very uncharacteristic for this show and, and oftentimes like very subtly funny. And Ooh. I think the, even though it doesn't make sense, the continuity of the episode wise, I do think Prowler unmasking and Peter immediately say like, I've never seen you before in my life is like a type of comedy that this show has never really done before. Yeah. And they don't really play it like a joke, but I think it's definitely meant to be funny. <laughs> oh, I thought it, it was happens. hilarious, but you're right. It's yeah. kind of like drier or at least not like yeah. as spotlighted. Yes. There is a dry sense of humor, I think, in this episode that pops up a lot. There's a lot of one-liners and responses and exchanges that are like that feel like they're out of like a like a British sketch or something, <laughs> like in a way that like this show has never done before. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, th- we'll get to them. Oh, I wrote down as many point. as I could. Things are like coming to mind now that you say that. 
Yeah, yeah, like 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 you know, like little like little um absurdities little here back and, and back and forth set characters have with each other and stuff like that. I've yeah. I wrote down as many as I could. So we'll awesome. I'll I'll list them off as we get through them. Hell yeah. <laughs> Where are we at? <laughs> so. We are okay, so Spider-Man ha- or Peter has said I've never seen you before in my life. And Prowler actually has like a pretty like unsurprised reaction to that i would think he'd be more pissed about it but he's like well let me refresh your memory i swear you'll never forget the name hobie brown (laughs) and this is where the vast majority of the episode becomes these entirely new and original flashbacks because this is not referencing any previous episodes but all these flashbacks that like tell the story leading up to this moment where hobie brown uh, aka the prowler is attacking peter in his home yeah so Hobie explains that he grew up in Peter's new neighborhood. They never give it a name, which I understand, but it's so annoying because all we can do is say the new neighborhood. Uh, But he grew up in this new neighborhood uh, or new to Peter neighborhood. And after it almost ended there too, basically he implies like, I grew up here and I almost got killed here based on the life of crime I'd been living. Hobie decided that the only way to continue surviving was to either find power or work for someone powerful. He ended up working for Iceberg, a genetically modified crime lord, um, and eventually began stealing larger cuts than Iceberg uh, was dictating. So Iceberg tried to kill Hobie, but Hobie escaped. So that's kind of like the pre, I guess there's a little bit more, but like the pre-Prowler stuff. Yeah, a wild design for Iceberg, too. I love that he literally yes. has, like, basically they design him so he essentially has an iceberg on his head. Is like I love it. Is. It's, it's, it's so funny. So cool. It's so funny. It's it feels so funny very, it's, it's, it, 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 I think what makes it kind of surprising that he's created for this show is that it feels very throwbacky, which I think it's yeah. a word that's come up in the last few episodes. The last few episodes have just felt like in different ways, sort of like like some kind of homage or throwback to something earlier. Like his design does not feel like a nineties design at all. It feels mm. very much like something from the seventies, like how cartoonish yeah. it kind like of is and absurd. <laughs> yeah. He would fit um, right alongside them. Yeah. Like there's nothing really edgy about him. It is really just sort of like he's an iceberg villain. So yeah. it's a blue and white color screen. He wears a suit and his hair is styled like an iceberg. <laughs> and that's, that's what it is. <laughs> so fun. So fun. Yeah. But I mean like the fact that iceberg even exists, right. And is this sort of like crime Lord that Hobie essentially like, uh, you know, commits loyalty to, Um, or promises loyalty to, I think this is where, you know how I said there was like that scratch of some of the stuff that we got in the Rocket Racer episode and some of the stuff we get with Tombstone and Robbie's son. Like, Mm -hmm. I think this is where I thought it would end up being a bigger conversation in the episode. Because I do think if you have that context, um, I think, you know, Hobie's telling kind of a similar story where he grew up in this really rough place where you either had to like fight to survive or uh, know somebody who could fight on your behalf. I mean, he's essentially talking about like the way that people end up in gangs, even if they don't want to end up in gangs, you know, like it's just a pure survival thing. And by just simply wanting to survive, you're caught up in committing these crimes and and potentially acts of violence that like you don't even want to commit, you know? And I think that begins to shape his actual psyche and what, what he starts to actually believe is his only reality. Um, And I think it comes from this, this environment that he's growing up in. I don't know that he's seen any other way um, to like live or survive. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I did think that that kind of helps um, my 
initial take on him that he's just like kind of like I was I was I was being a little bit uh, I, I was I was I was being a little bit hyperbolic with just saying that he's just an asshole the whole episode. Well, he not is true. an asshole. He is like he, he is, he acts but he like is, an asshole. He is, <laughs> but he is he is more sympathetic, I think, than um, than I think he could be. You know, like I think I think that. I think given everything that you say, like the point of this part of the backstory is to establish that it's like, there isn't like some, something tragic that made him turn to a life of villainy. It's just sort of like, this is literally the only life that he's ever been exposed to. And so of course he's going to be a guy that like, doesn't really know how to have like a great relationship and is obsessed with the idea of power because like his whole life has been immersed in those ideas of like, the only way that you can survive is by having power. And he's never found a way out beyond that so like it, it and there is something there is something really tragic about that um and and you know kind of triumphant if he, if he is ultimately able to overcome that um i just yeah i just i i think that my issue is that he doesn't really show a lot of shades of being anything more than an asshole until like the very sure. end of the episode you know like i wish that they could have yeah. given him a little bit more depth uh, I but agree. I do. I appreciate that aspect of his backstory for sure. Yeah. I, I wish that they had gotten um, maybe a little bit more into like, cause I think you can turn this into something that's sympathetic, even if it still ends up kind of pushing him into a direction that makes him unlikable in the present. Right. Cause yeah. like he, he, he tries to buck against the system that he knows. Um, and the only way he can buck against that is to steal from the system that he knows. Um, yeah. so he, the only way he can do it is by committing another crime, but that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to like, he's trying to take from, he's it's like trying to take from power by taking from iceberg and then is immediately caught and squashed because iceberg is more powerful than him so like what else is he going to do other than be like i need to be more powerful than iceberg but i wish that they had focused more on like how that affects him because i think then you could create at least a sympathetic character where you're like okay you're going about it wrong but i i I am invested in you getting it right right absolutely that's where i think they fall short is like i don't think i was like you're saying i don't think i was like feeling sympathy for him a lot or feeling like invested in him trying to break out of that system outside of just knowing that it probably sucked. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other, the other thing that I think makes him kind of unlikable to me is like how he treats Angela. Yeah. And I don't really, and it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you're you're only getting little snippets of this, right? Like you don't see Angela that much and I'm not even really like, that mad about it because I understand because it's like, there's a lot of story to tell. This is just meant to be kind of pieces of his backstory and his home life that we're seeing, you know? Um, so, but, but as a result of that, it's just sort of like, I don't understand why Angela ever would have been with him in the first place. Like they just don't mm. really see him on the same level at all because he is, he, we only see him as at, at his at his kind of his most unlikable you know ever so like i don't understand how he ever would have been yeah. appealing to anyone yeah because well, he only cause... reacts to the situation with anger it's not like he comes yeah. back to angela and like we get to see a more vulnerable side of hobie right. because That's he's with angela that's what i would have expected and it's like people get into bad relationships all the time. I know that full well from experience personally. It's like it happens. You just get in a relationship Mm -hmm. with a shitty person for, and for a million different reasons and then just don't realize it until later. So like I can buy that happening, but I just feel like it's ultimately a missed opportunity because this is exactly how you can endear, you know, your sort of, 
like in a lot of ways, Hobie is kind of is, is the protagonist of this episode and an yeah. easy way to endear him to us is to get him is to see him in a moment of vulnerability with someone who, you know, knows him personally outside of his crime life. Um, even if she's his ex-girlfriend, she obviously knows him probably potentially better than anyone else. Um, and, and it could be the one person that he could be a lot softer with, you know, and or we could even, have seen other shades of him. Even if he's not necessarily being soft, because of like the current circumstance Angela would be the perfect person to like offer us insight into who else Hobie Brown can be I feel like Rocket Racer kind of did that with family mm-hmm. dynamics right where like Absolutely. I mean Rocket Racer gen- generally got to be more vulnerable on screen to us but just by having other people around who could be like I like I know who you could be or I know who you have been like Angela could have been that because you don't necessarily want the story to be a facsimile of Rocket Racer so he can be in his feelings but like Angela could have been a great tool to show us like oh there's this other side of Hobie you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it's a, yeah. And it's like, you know, if, if he was intended to just be a villain, it would be fine. I wouldn't really care if it was just like, oh, sure. Yeah, she just dated a shitty guy. But the <laughs> fact that we are really supposed to deeply care about him by the end of the episode because he is the guy we're following and supposed to be very happy when he, like, you know, and satisfied when he's like kind of turned himself mm. around and learned a lesson, like, you kind of need you i don't know he like i i can appreciate watching stuff with unlikable characters totally but like i don't feel like he's supposed to be unlikable i don't feel like the creators want him to be unlikable i think maybe you nailed the the earliest problem of this episode which is by the end of it you know oh they wanted me to care or feel sympathy for hobie but i don't think they do anything early in the episode to establish that and and in fact i would say they work against it because he is seen as the one attacking spider-man who is a mystery uh who we don't know anything about so like how why would we identify with him like i think you can do the work to get to that but then you have to sort of like trust that that's where it's going Um, and I think that's asking a lot from the audience when they might not know who this guy even is Right. I mean, it's his first time in in cartoons. Like if you didn't read the comics, you would have no idea who he is. Right. There's no like (laughs) desperation in those early interactions. There's no like establishing of any sort of like comic based like source material background that might catch you up to speed or like you don't see him at all until he is uh, in conflict with Spider-Man. Yeah, no, I think the the lack of desperation makes a big difference because it really just that's why it just like he just seems like a guy who is power hungry. And that's what we see for Mm. up and, you know, up until, you know, we get the stuff with the kingpin. We really just I don't know. I I, I think that we are supposed to see him as desperate, I think. And that's why he's in a life of crime. But I don't I just don't think it's executed well enough, I guess. But I feel like they could have very easily included a line about. Um, him needing Spider-Man early on. I feel like they save that way, way, way too yeah, long and drop it way uh, too yeah. late. And they could have easily dropped that when he's talking to to Peter. So I wonder yeah. if maybe they were a little too hung up on the idea of like unraveling the mystery and that came at the expense of having their sympathetic character be sympathetic early on enough for us to not view him as an asshole. No, I think that's a good point because I do think the sort of like noirish way of telling the story like you know part of a lot of a lot of noir is that the the character the main characters are like often like 
shitty people and the whole the whole movie is just the story of them like falling <laughs> harder and harder into tragedy and they get the, their comeuppance in the end and it is supposed to be like you know you're following this guy and you're and he's in your and you find them compelling because of how fucking like awful they are as a person sure. you know like a lot of noirs like that um so I, I think that maybe they're caught up on that aspect of it that you're like it's sort of like isn't it interesting that we're hearing the story of this villain and his sort of like his sort of fall into deeper villainy but mm-hmm. I, I think it, it doesn't really work as well in a optimistic Spider-Man cartoon yeah. where it is because noir uh, more, more times than not have dark endings. So like, and yeah. you don't have that for this episode. And so yeah. I, I think you do need a little bit of a lighter setup. And I do think the intrigue of like, I need your help Spider-Man and here's why. And then it's this whole story of this guy's villain origin story. Like, I do think that there's a lot of intrigue and mystery in why is he asking that question? And then we're only hearing about this guy doing kind of bad things. Like, I think that's way more compelling than yeah. I'm a villain. Here's why I'm a villain and why I hate you. Oh, by the way, I need your help. Like at the very end of it, t- kind of tacked on, you know? Yeah. There is, I mean, I guess it is also technically possible. I'm not going to entertain this thought for too long because I don't think it's true, but like, it is also possible that like, the people creating this just were like, yeah, no, he is being an asshole and he is wrong. And you're not really feeling sympathy for him until we get to Kingpin. I doubt that's what they were going for. And I think it would have made for a far worse story. Um, but I guess it's technically possible. Um, I just think that would be a bummer if that turned out to be true. Yeah. I'd hope not. Cause I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it does no. this episode or the character any favors. No, like I want to be more of, optimistic about it based on other things we've seen the show do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think our, our criticisms are all coming from a place of like, there's a really good kernel of a story more than a kernel. Like just the core of this episode is like, oh, like has it. so much potential. and There's a lot of really good stuff at the center of it. It just feels like they made some yeah. poor decisions along the way, yeah. especially in the first half year with setting everything up. And, 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 and as a result, it just doesn't really deliver on what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it really just does a disservice to, to Hobie as a character. And I think we both just really want to like him more yeah. than we ultimately do. And it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We kind of jumped off from this Angela appearance here. So let's yeah. jump back onto that. Um, Hobie, after, you know, getting getting uh, really caught and, you know, uh, squashed by Iceberg, attempts to hide at his ex-girlfriend Angela's place or at least make a pit stop there before he does something else. And she's basically like, I don't want any of this. I don't want any of what you're what you're doing. I've asked you to, like, get get on the straight and narrow and you won't do it. Um, and he's like, I, you, there's nothing I could do, Angela. What do you want, Angela? Like, this is all I got. I got to be more powerful, Angela. Um, and she's like, well, then fine, we're done. And so he's like, all right, I guess all I can do is flee. Um, but he doesn't have any money. <laughs> so he's like, I got to get some money. He decides the only way to do that, which I, I do understand. I think I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt here. The only way he feels like he can get money is by committing yet another crime. And that is to mug a couple walking through the neighborhood. His luck sucks, though, for two reasons. One, that couple happens to be Mary Jane Watson and her superhero husband, or to-be husband. Um, And two, Mary Jane only had $12 in her bag to begin with. So (laughs) he can get out of town, but he's got no money once he's out. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a few things in yeah, this yeah, whole yeah. sequence. Um, first of all, I, forget, I forgot to say, when Hobie leaves Angela's place, the implication is that he just jumped out of her window, is yes. what they give, because yes. which I think is very funny, that she's like, you're a nobody, Hobie, and then turns around, and he's like, literally jumped out of her window, and he's not even a supervillain yet, so like, no. it's not like a, a disappearing superhero thing. No it's like, the guy just left. The guy just literally leapt out of her window and ran away, which is yeah. like, okay, drama queen. Um, the other thing, okay, uh, a couple of lines. This is counter to what I was saying before. This is not one of the dry lines. I just think it's very <laughs> funny in a class, in a very classic mm-hmm. Peter Parker way. Cause Hobie's like, uh, um, cause, uh, well, wait, is that, no, you know what? We haven't gotten to Peter's side of the story yet. Ha- wait, yes, we have. Sorry. I am all over the place right now. Well, it's yeah. weird because this episode does. I mean, like it covers a lot of ground and it technically does it from Hobie's perspective, but there but a are lot times of when it is yeah. from Peter's perspective, even though Hobie's the one telling the story. So that's where yeah. like when I was saying like, you got to be really clean about these types of things, they could tidy this up. They could clean this up a little bit. <laughs> I think so. Like I appreciate the, yeah, I, I appreciate the attempt to have an interesting story structure where you get Hobie's and Peter's perspective, but it's not like this is like a Rashomon style episode or anything, or just like a different character telling their story type of episode. It's basically like Hobie's telling the predominant, the, the like the, the majority of the story, but the, and then Peter just like fills in some gaps, but he's not telling it to Hobie. He is telling it to himself to, and by right. proxy to the audience and Hobie isn't hearing it. So Hobie is really only telling like, like sort of like little, like, um, uh, little pieces of the story ultimately. And then Peter's right. getting these details that like really aren't feeding back into what Hobie's saying. And sometimes kind of, they sometimes kind of contradict each other a little bit. So it gets, it's, which could be cool, but it gets a little unclear sometimes as to like yeah. who is actually like telling the story. Yeah. Cause there's certain things that like Hobie can't know. Hobie can't right. know how Peter reacted to that situation, but we right. know because Peter knows. Right. And so, and, and there's ways to do that. I think when you do like a really good, like Rashomon, Rashomon style episode, if you don't know what that means, listen to my gimmicks podcast but I'm yeah. all the time. Um, uh, like, but when you do those types of episodes where you're like looking at, at, at the same events from different perspectives, it's usually to see it from like a character point of view or to like unravel a mystery in some ways. This is literally just giving us exposition and just like oh, yeah. telling the story through flashback. And in that case, it's sort of like, well, in that case, we really just need the information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, and you, there's a way you could elegantly tell it where Hobie and Peter are both telling pieces of the story. I think that it is a very cool idea, but I think it's just, it just ends up, it's kind of confusing confusing honestly when you're watching it a little bit unfortunately yeah Um, Yeah, this should be the kind of episode that you talk about on gimmicks because it should be more straightforwardly a Rashomon type thing or something very akin to it like that would have serviced this episode incredibly well yeah because the majority of the episode is in flashback but then a lot of it also isn't in flashback and the the flashbacks have to go be like rapid fire because this show's short so like yeah i don't know (laughs) it's a cool cool ideas i think that uh, I think that it needed a few more. Uh, I think it needed to be worked a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if it was just like maybe done under some time constraints or something. Um, but but anyway, you were going to tell me about a line yes, that you really liked. I, yes. Yes. I got so derailed. No. Okay. I I don't even, it's not even that I like this line. I just think it's so funny because it's so like stupid and comic booky. Sure. But Peter's just like, because uh, Hobie's like, like you had it all. And Peter's like, I had it all that night for sure. All the problems I can handle. Oh, and then he that's doesn't even really it's it's not very the show. <laughs> yeah. The vibe um, of the show. 
I, I think that that line's really funny. The, the one that I do think is like a very, a very sort of like the sort of like dry comedy that I was thinking about before sure. is like, there's a line that the um, landlord person that he's trying to rent from says when Peter isn't, can't decide if he wants to get the apartment or not. Um, that I think is meant to be a joke, a subtle joke, because um, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. And then the landlady's like, well, I got an art student that wants it. If you don't, I think it's meant to be a dig because art students typically like are just stereotypically don't make a lot of money. Right. And so I think that it's meant to be a dig at Peter that like, wow, you're even lower than an art student of all people. You are so poor. And it's not called out as a joke. It's just thrown out in rapid fire by this random landlady character and they just keep going. And that's not the type of humor that this show normally does, but I feel like it's, it's the type of joke that this episode does specifically where like you really could almost miss it that someone said something kind of funny actually yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like the kind exact funny, opposite also fuck her <laughs> right also like a rude thing to say yeah right but fuck it's like the it's landlord like, unsurprised that's like the, <laughs> oh yeah oh big surprise Lisa, that we're saying fuck landlords on this podcast with two leftists wow um but it's like the exact opposite of the like all oh, the problems that I can handle. But um, Tish, it's like then it's this landlady like throwing out an, a, a dig at an art student. Like it's just yeah, I, that's yeah. I I found that I found that very funny and like yeah. bizarre in a way the show never is. This is I mean this is where we get that scene between Peter and Mary Jane trying to decide where uh, whether they're going to live here or not. So like any thoughts on that brief conversation we see between those two? Oh, oh yeah. I think Peter is arguing that his apartment is too high up, which is like, isn't that an ideal thing for Spider-Man? That would because be perfect can, like, for Spider-Man. Swing. Well, um, I think he's making any excuse to not be in this neighborhood, to be honest. Like, and, and I don't know if that is sort of like supposed to be a funny excuse not to on top of him thinking the neighborhood's be. dangerous or what. Um, yeah. But it really does feel like he is trying really hard to both put in his due diligence to look at apartments he can afford, but also not actually take this apartment, which I think is what makes Mary Jane so perfect in this moment where she's like, no dumbass, Like we can afford this. Let's do it. We're together. We got this. Like quit making excuses. Let's go. You know, she doesn't say it in nearly as many words, but that's the sentiment. I I think it's also like self tax, a lot of self-sabotage too. Like I think he's trying. I think he is so, terrified of everything with Mary Jane not working out that he's like subconsciously doing everything he can to like be like, but this is how it's not. But I think we, but, but this is proof that it's not going to work. So we can't do it. Like, like at every turn. I mean, I think that's why he spiraled at the beginning of the episode too, you know? So I think it it all makes sense. And this, it's just all his, his nerves and his guilt complex and his, and his hangups about all of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this is all right before they get mugged. I guess not really mugged. It's more of a purse snatching. It's a purse snatching. And I love that Mary Jane's just like when Peter goes running off after him, she's like, no, it's not worth it. Like, like even knowing that dollars in there, <laughs> right? Like even knowing that he's spy- phones yet. <laughs> exactly. It's like, there's nothing in there. Even knowing that he's Spider-Man and can easily handle the situation. Yeah. It's just sort of like, we don't bother with this. I can get it. Like <laughs> there's nothing of value in that bag. Right. The bag is worth more than what's in it. Peter relax. <laughs> yeah yeah that's a it's a good interaction though it's a lot of character stuff with these two mm-hmm. um in their sort of like tumultuous early engaged 
uh, days, you know? They're not focusing yeah. on it, but I like it when you stop down to think about it. Oh, yeah. I, you don't get a lot of Mary Jane in this episode, but I like her in every single scene we see mm-hmm. her in, which maybe only like two, but yeah. <laughs> I, I like I like her in both cases. I think it's a good it's a it's a it's a good depiction of their of their sort of relationship and why yeah. she is a good compliment to Peter's like neuroticness mm-hmm. <laughs> about all of this stuff. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah. So after capturing and webbing up Hobie. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this is a little bit reckless, but Spider-Man is, uh-huh. I think, angry that Hobie, you know, directly stole Mary Jane's purse. Uh, so I, I understand why it's coming from a place of like anger, but it's not it's the smartest thing to do nope. because he still he tells Toby to spread a message that anyone who crosses Peter Parker or his girl crosses me. Like that's how Hobie had the understanding that that Peter and Spider-Man have that connection that he was referring to before. Yeah, because Spider-Man explicitly told him that which oh means he just put a big fat target <laughs> on peter yeah. and mary jane's back it's wild Dumb because move, this, buddy. Is, this is how he <laughs> punctuates what he tells hobie because he goes so far as to be like we have a partnership i i fight crime and he takes the pictures and it's a it's a sweet comfy deal buddy so leave us yeah. alone it's like you are saying way too much you your mouth needs to shut my friend <laughs> yep, it is yep. so wild Buddy, what are you doing? Oh, buddy, what are you doing? <laughs> so Hobie ends up in prison, of course. Of course. Uh, and however, he crosses paths with and even saves the life of Richard Fisk, of all people. So we know Richard Fisk, his dad, his, he's, his, he's got Daddy Kingpin, right? So Daddy Kingpin pulls all these strings to free Hobie as a thanks. That's how Hobie gets out. And then ends up meeting with Kingpin as well. You know what's really funny? It's, it's not important. It's not an, a critique of the episode or anything. It's just funny to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he runs into Richard Fisk in prison. Richard Fisk is still in prison. And Richard Fisk uses his connections to get Hobie freed from prison. But he is still in prison. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my guess. How are you still it, in prison, Richard? <laughs> my my guess is that he's done enough bad explicit stuff yes. that like he's still he probably has a reduced sentence but he did like very recently like frame <laughs> frame Robbie Robertson for like uh, you know a, a huge yeah uh, a huge burglary attempt so like and and, and was caught doing it red-handed so right yeah. that's the thing they also <laughs> explain that like part of the reason he's able to get Hobie free is because it's a pretty tenuous thing like they don't really have any evidence he's not caught red-handed um yeah like they, yeah. they make it pretty clear that Hobie was kind of in there without uh, any sort of real no no one gave him a chance, right? Yeah, I think that it's, that's very clever too that it's like Spider-Man can't come testify. So like yeah. why I mean, yeah, he's going to be let free. Nor so. would Peter. Right. Right, exactly. Exactly. Uh, one thing I really like a lot is when Hobie shows up and Kingpin's like, "You saved my son. How should I thank you?" I love the way that uh Roscoe Lee Brown Says jewels. Says, would you like jewel? Jewels. jewels. Would you like some jewels? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but instead, Hobie's like, I want power. And so Kingpin's like, how about the stealth battle suit? I just have this right here, I'm yeah. ready for you, man. <laughs> Been working on this. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. There's uh, more to it supposed- than that, but it's very it's very funny that he's just like, oh, I just so happen to have <laughs> yeah. this over here. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, he offers it. No strings attached, which, you know, we know is probably not the actual what? case. But Derek, they say it so many times. 
they stress so many times that there are no strings attached. There's no catch. <laughs> right. It's not too good to be true. It's just true. Yeah. It'll all be fine. Nothing bad. Nothing bad will come of this. Yeah. Nothing bad is happening. Everything's fine. Hobie's also be great. What's very funny is this suit. I mean, I don't have an extensive knowledge of the Prowler and the history of the Prowler, but okay. Kingpin lists. I, I only have like what I know from Spider Verse, and then I think I've read maybe a, like the comic he appears in or something. But I don't have a lot, right? So there could be whole yeah. chunks I'm missing. But like <laughs> Kingpin, when he's listing off all the things that this suit can do, I'm like, so it's an Iron Man suit. You're just giving him an Iron Man suit is all you're doing. <laughs> Like I don't, I don't equate Prowler with like that, but that's what you're giving him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Basically, yeah. It does all the same things. It flies. It's armor. It shoots rockets. Like it's, it's yeah. just an Iron Man suit. <laughs> that's true. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> and spoiler: it even malfunctions like an I- Iron Man suit. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so he's uh, he's Prowler now. I think he names himself Prowler very shortly after this. Yeah. Um. So, you know, he's finally got the power he's been seeking. So the first thing he does, of course, is attack Iceberg at his hideout. Idiot. But, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's really got a lot else going on. So Leave. <laughs> Leave. He literally was going to try to. I mean, I, I get why, right? Like he sees his. Yeah. The reason he was leaving is because he couldn't do anything. And now suddenly he can. But like the yeah. smart, calm headed thing to do would be like, and he doesn't know what Kingpin knows, but like, just leave now. You have the ability to leave yeah. now. <laughs> I mean, I, I like the, I like that tragic aspect of his story that it's sort of like he could have used this opportunity. Like he could have used that opportunity to be a superhero or whatever too. Sure. But the fact that but he it makes chose way just, more sense that he does yeah. this. In character, the fact that he chose because his and I think that he is his entire like perspective is so narrow, like, yeah, like even even in his head, he still can't escape this town. He can't escape this neighborhood, even though he has every ability to to leave now. He still is sort of like stuck there, you know, and I think Um, that drives the point home, right? If you are already thinking about that part of the conversation that's in this episode, but not strong enough in this episode. But if you're thinking about that, it really does drive home the fact that Hobie does not see outside of this environment right. he's in. Right. Cause it's sort of like, like why is, you know, I know he obviously has a thing against iceberg and like a score to settle with him. But like, you know, if his, if his real goal was to just, you know, become like free and powerful. Like you don't need to necessarily fight iceberg to do that. There's a million ways you could have done that. Um, but yeah, his, his perspective is so narrow well, and like kind of, you know, that, that that's all he thinks he, to do. Yeah. And like, honestly, w- like in that really narrow perspective and in that environment that is so, so much stressing and reinforcing this idea of power, like, and, and you just don't have like, what, what, he probably doesn't even know what else he would do. And like, That's you have true, this guy, yeah. Iceberg, who has like just blatantly disrespected and overpowered him in like the most humiliating of ways, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, it kind of makes sense that this is what he's going to do. Like, this is how I, this is yeah. how I fix this, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. It, I don't think he's seeing it as like just revenge even though i think that's how the episode portrays it i think like if you're trying to think of it in a more realistic sense like i think hobie probably thinks he's fixing what happened to him (laughs) sure 
Yeah, yeah. I think he's not right, but I think that's probably what he thinks. It's it's completely (laughs) in character, and I think and that's an aspect of the story that I think works really well. Um, And if he doesn't do something about it, people will only ever remember that Hobie was weak, right? Like, and I think from his perspective that he's not going to move forward within his limited scope if people continue to think he's weak. Exactly. Yeah, I think yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Well, that fight is interrupted by Spider Man. So Spider-Man has seen the Prowler before is what we just mm-hmm. established now because oh. there is an entire fight between the two. <laughs> oh, this is okay. This, this was the most confusing moment of the episode. This is where I had to stop and recalibrate to be like, did I miss them jumping back into the present? Because if Hobie got that suit after he got out of prison and goes to iceberg to beat the shit out of him and Spider-Man shows up and it's still the past, either <laughs> the, the creators have made a big mistake or they are really, really banking on Spider-Man, just not keeping track at all uh, of any of the people that he has like come in contact with in these types of settings. Yeah. <laughs> like That's I get silly. sometimes they make a joke of like, and we've seen this in shows we've covered. Sometimes they make a joke of villains being so insignificant that Spider-Man doesn't remember who they are. That's not what they're doing here. Or at least if they're trying, they super fail at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how could you forget the prowler of all people too? like that, that very striking pur- bright purple and green costume, like, you know, so- fighting iceberg. Like, fighting iceberg. Like this yeah. is a pretty remarkable setting that that Spider-Man shows up to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I guess Peter only ever explicitly says he doesn't recognize Hobie's face specifically, which that part of it maybe makes sense that he'd forget that. But and and I can understand him, you know, outwardly pretending to not know who Prowler is when he shows up, even if he does. I think but that then, that's what they want their explanation to be, and so it's so so it's like kind of holding it for for a surprise for the audience because Peter's pretending he doesn't know who the Prowler is, and you as the audience don't realize he does until now. For but. our benefit, could they throw in at the at that first contact? You again? Who are you? Like, I think Maybe. the mystery would still be there, right? Like, yeah. We still we still don't know who he is. Yeah, we still don't know how they've interacted before. We still don't know how Prowler became Prowler. Yeah. But at least they've established like, okay, at some point, you know, these two have come in contact with each other, which I don't think would have been that weird of a thing to do given the structure of this episode. Sure. Yeah, it's a it's like an unnecessary piece to the mystery that like didn't need to be there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, because they have a whole fight. Spider-Man's like I got to take him where he can't hurt anyone else. So of course he takes them away from the like abandoned warehouses and instead to a bridge filled with innocent people driving cars <laughs> on a bridge that could be blown up by a guy with like ray guns that can blow shit or uh, by like beams and shit that can blow yeah. stuff. So I don't know, maybe bridge. not the best decision. Notoriously safe in this universe bridge. Yeah. Nothing, nothing bad, bad has, has ever bad happened ever on a happened. bridge. <laughs> Shuttles have not landed on bridges delivering, you know, horrible alien, uh, you know, murderers into this universe. You haven't lost your literal girlfriend uh, on a bridge. (laughs) Mysterio hasn't killed a woman by people's understanding on a bridge. Like the worst things happen on a bridge in this universe. Spider slayers haven't Megazord stacked themselves up to try to kill you on a bridge. (laughs) Yeah. Buddy, what are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> well, and like by this point, 
if Spider-Man takes someone to a bridge, he's like sentencing them to death. Like everyone who's ever fallen <laughs> into the river has died or disappeared forever. <laughs> like if he's taking Prowler, if he's taking Prowler to a bridge at this point, like it is with murderous intent. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> that's the best way to kill someone on the show. That's so true. Oh my God. <laughs> That, it, it didn't even occur to me how absurd it was that he goes to a bridge until you pointed that out. Like, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, whatever. They fight a little bit. Prowler doesn't die. For the first time, people fight on a bridge and there isn't like a a, a, a death or disappearance <laughs> on a bridge uh, because he just... He just um, Prowler webs up Spidey and blasts him into the river. So Prowler, I think at that point, thinks that Spider-Man is dead and and dips But that's the thing. This guy almost killed Spider-Man and you don't remember who he is? Like, I understand, again, they make that joke all the time, right? Like, oh, plenty of people want to kill me. But this guy recently tried to kill you. I think (laughs) And almost succeeded. You have to... I think it has to be. You have to just make the assumption and settle that Peter doesn't remember Hobie Brown as a person. He does know who Prowler was and was faking, not remembering who he was because he couldn't blow. Uh, he would have blown his identity. You have to just accept that. Fine. I'll give the Peter episode the credit, but I'm sense. not going to, I'm not letting the creators off yeah. the hook. You did not make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a fundamentally doesn't make sense if that's not yeah. what's happening. <laughs> yeah. I won't bring it and up that again. Way you still, <laughs> that way you still get to keep the, I have no idea who you are joke because yeah. he's just talking about, Hobie, it just the the prowler. He always knew who that was. Fine. <laughs> yeah, I will accept it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so uh, Hobie um, back in the present uh, remarks that you know he may never know what happened next to Spider Man, and Peter of course tells the audience like, well, of course I know because by the way I'm Spider Man, uh, so of course I didn't die. And so you know, he just funny, Derek. Yeah, they make it seem like the whole episode is about to shift perspectives to Peter. I was yeah. like so ready to make sure I had my shit straight, and it's literally just shifting to Peter to be like, "Bitch, I lived." Like that's it. <laughs> Yeah, because then it goes right back to Prowler right back. telling more of the story from his perspective. <laughs> it's so funny. It's that so janky. Me. It's so janky. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. So Prowler apparently, after he had uh, you know assumed he killed Spider-Man, returned to confront Iceberg, who attempts to freeze him solid and fails because I think um, <laughs> Prowler says he has a nuclear heating unit in his suit. Interesting. Seems a little bit dangerous. Interesting. He has a nuclear heating unit in his suit. Feels similar to like how you might use an arc reactor to heat your suit if oh. you were trying to freeze <laughs> yeah, sure. your get frozen. <laughs> Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. Also, it's an Iron also, Man yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Really? Oh wow. Um, he also has the line when he shows up. He's like, "Iceberg, time to cash the check that your mouth's been writing." <laughs> nice, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> nailed it. I don't know. It sounds like <laughs> you should be making like an ice joke, but you're not. Oh yeah, what a missed opportunity. This episode makes like no ice puns. Yeah. What, y'all, what are you doing? Iceberg deserved better. 
<laughs> Does Spider-Man not have any ice villains? Like, there's so many DC was, Comics ice villains. I was but... wondering that earlier in the episode, um, and I've been trying to think of one. I mean, in 2017, he fights an ice villain, but that's not like a rogues right. gallery type no. um, ice villain. So I don't know that, that he has any like famous ones, right? What was that 2017 guy's even guy's name even even? What am I saying? What are the words? The order of the words I said that in were wrong, but the the order of words I said were. Am I having a stroke right now? It seems like it. <laughs> Do you need what a was break? The, <laughs> <laughs> what was even the name of that of that villain from 2017? The ice guy. I well, I don't know, but he was cool because this is the guy that had like an ice mech, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he was just like a dude who had like an ice thing, who just had like an ice glove. Oh, and you know why we don't remember? He it. built an, an, and then eventually he built an ice mech. Out you know of why ice. we don't remember it? Why? Because his name sucks. It's Blizzard. Ew. Anyway, ice, Iceberg is a way better name. <laughs> way better. Just adapted Iceberg in a 2017 show. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I guess he really doesn't have like, out of his main rogues gallery, I can't really think of like an ice themed villain, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I'm sure that they've played around with like Hydra man and stuff and made ice stuff from that. But like somebody who's strictly an ice villain, like there's so many DC comics villains that are all ice villains and shoot ice rays or whatever. It's just kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They showed a lot of restraint, not making all those ice puns, especially, well, no, this would have been, I think, the year of or the year right before Batman and Robin and all their ice puns. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So Prowler's able to take over Iceberg's operation. He gives his first address to a group of icebergs, but now his henchmen. Uh, but while he's doing that, he even has like Iceberg just like playing Butler. So he would just do like so funny. Him. Very funny. This is the thing to me that's like, th- I don't think that they spotlight how funny it is, but it was so funny to me that there's just like this army of henchmen in like parkas uh, <laughs> and then iceberg comes out in a suit with like a tray full of drinks. Yeah. So goofy. Yeah. It's very goofy. I mean, that feels very like classic Batman, like Mr. <laughs> Freeze stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but while he's giving his first address, right. Uh, he's, he's addressing all the henchmen. Suddenly his suit starts short circuiting and then he receives this like holographic transmission from Kingpin. I think one of those little like it used to be Smythe robots, but I guess I guess yeah. Kingpin has the has the tech for it. Little drones one of those little or whatever. Drones shows yeah, like just flies in, has this holographic pr- transmission of Kingpin, who's like, um, who's like, yeah. By the way, you know, the only way to power your suit is through me. So you're gonna have to come to me to get it recharged. And also, oh, if you take it off, it'll self destruct. Whoopsie. Oops. And <laughs> Hobie, Hobie is like, I thought you said no strings attached. And then Kingpin's like, the best puppeteers never use strings. And then describes like all the exact ways strings were attached. So I don't really know what he meant by that. But <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the most elegant way to do this. I think there is a fun way to do this where like you have a really asshole Kingpin who knows that the strings were attached. But it's more like, well, no, it's not. I mean, you don't necessarily have to do anything for me but it is proprietary tech the only way you're going to get supported is by coming here like there and you know that's not necessarily better than this but there's a way to do it you know what i mean 
where yeah, he can yeah. like be playful about it and it's like oh fuck off man yeah or some <laughs> kind of like exact words deal with the devil kind of stuff but oh, sure, as yeah. it is it's just sort of like no strings attached <laughs> jk yes there are like right. that's pretty much where it ends because you like, can always stress like you have a choice uh it's just yeah, that some yeah. of the choices really fucking suck <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, like not not Kingpin's best look in this episode, but it's, you know <laughs> he, he's done better before. But it's it's it it, 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 it yeah it, you know it's fine. <laughs> he deserves a JK. I was I was lying every once in a while. I guess. Right, right. <laughs> it's a prank. No, it's not. You just lied. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's just, it's literally just a lie. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so the whole reason that Kingpin did all of this uh, was because, you know, Hobie, Hobie, I think, had mentioned to Kingpin that he wanted to take Iceberg down. And so Kingpin was like, actually, Kingpin works for me already. And I'm kind of tired of him because he was already doing his own thing. So I'll have you do my dirty work. And that was the whole reason that he gave Hobie the stealth suit in the first place. Which so. is the epitome of puppet strings. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah like there's like no you you did you should have just been like i lied there were strings attached and here's what they are yeah but uh after kingpin hangs up hobie returns to angela's to get help but learns oh no she's moved on and she's got a new boyfriend derek my line here is just it just says hobie sucks actually (laughs) but i i mean he does he (laughs) extremely sucks in this moment but here's my question why do they do this? I mean, I get I by the end of the episode, I guess I understand, but like Henry? Like you didn't even know who I meant when I mentioned Henry at the top of the episode. Yeah. I mean <laughs> I, I don't... this is when you said that this might have been the type of thing that was like um meant as a backdoor pilot or something, the presence of Angela and Henry in general and Iceberg yeah. started to make a little bit more sense to me. So it, mm. I, I kind of have more of an answer to this question than I did when I just watched it the first time. Um, I imagine Angela and Henry would be recurring characters um, in a serious version of this, and Iceberg would have been uh, maybe an initial main villain, right? Um, yeah. But in this episode alone, it's like Henry is there, and Hobie shows up and is like, who's this guy? And Henry tries to like you know, forcibly remove Hobie from the situation and Hobie in a super suit basically just beats the shit out of Henry, Angela's right. new boyfriend. Um, and it's just such a bad look for Hobie. It's, he looks like such a dick. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, right. I think that's, I, I'm, 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 I'm sort of conflicted about it because I don't mind a thing where Hobie returns to Angela and is just sort of like, she firmly establishes, no, I have moved on. Like it's, it's, oh, totally. it's too late. You have, these are, I, I am evidence of all of the mistakes that you have made finally, like coming to like culminating. Essentially it is way too late. Here is my, my boyfriend. We're going to get married. He's great. He is everything that you're not. And that's what I want in my life. Like I kind of like that. And I think that if it was more of a turning point for Hobie, where he's just like, realize like I really truly don't have anywhere to turn, which is what's happening here. Like that, that is what's trying. That is what they're trying to get through is that Hobie has no one else to turn to in his life. But I don't know. I don't really know what it is that doesn't work for me with that. There's just something in where it's sort of like, I think because Hobie has been so unlikable up to this point that I don't really feel bad when Angela is just, like no like no, totally. I, i'm kicking you out you have done everything wrong and i don't want you in my life anymore no, you're fully rooting like, for Fuck. angela 
Right. I'm just sort of like, yeah, good, Angela. You did the right thing. And then he leaves I, and it's just sort of like, I don't feel bad for him at all that he has no one else to turn to. You know, like I, I so. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think there's I, a I couple things. I think one, mm-hmm. I don't know that they firmly establish enough what the situation with Angela and Hobie is at the beginning. I think it's a slightly confusing. Like, sure. They break up, but it also kind of felt like they were already broken up. So, like, I don't know yeah. that it's a, it's super clear whether it's like a Hobie keeps coming back after Angela has said no many times or right. if Hobie is just like a full shitty boyfriend who like comes and goes and she doesn't even know what's going on. And this is like finally her being like, I am going to decide what's going on instead of waiting for you. Um, th- I think that's one part of it. Like, I think it needed to be clear what had happened. And two, I think there's a way to do this scene where he realizes he's lost everything without it just being like he comes in, beats up Henry and leaves and like doesn't feel sad ever that he's lost something like it, yeah, I don't know that he, his reaction to the situation is is that different than the way he's reacting to anything else in the situation like like right, you said right. there has to be a breaking point at some at some point in this story and this and really would have isn't. been the perfect one because he's reacted yeah. angry to a bunch of things and I would argue understandably so like I've been understanding yeah. of how Hobie has been acting and behaving but this is where I they lose me because this is where it should have been yeah. different and personal right this is again yeah it, it's just the second example of that like where's the vulnerability that's making us care that he's going through this yeah and I think too like this gets into just rewriting the entire episode territory, which I know is like not good or productive really to do. But I do think that like in that, in that scenario where this is a real turning point, he's really vulnerable. Then when he goes to Peter, I think it's less that he's coming as an angry villain who hates him and more like you're seeing a, a person who has been a villain all episode who is suddenly like brought, brought down to his lowest point and is like, I need the help of a superhero, you know, and it's like really pleading. But I think because they wanted to have this sort of noir style setup where there's a whole mystery of this villain potentially knowing who Peter is and, oh, it's actually, you know, it's a connection and he's like attacking him in his apartment and like, you know, like, and now you got his villain origin story. Like they couldn't do that if he was like coming and, and like, it would be a totally radically different setup in that case. So because they have to have Hobie like mean and threatening to Peter, they couldn't have him coming to Peter really feel like showcasing that it's at his lowest point and he's really like realizing that he's at his lowest point you know i i i get what you're saying and i appreciate the the concern of like just rewriting the episode because i like that i like that we are conscious of that right but like yeah i do think there's a way to do this episode and hit the points that you're talking about i just think that this show isn't necessarily dealing in the nuance that that would require a lot of the time because i think there is a way for hobie brown who is feeling desperate to be acting violent and angry but also be doing it because he's desperate and i think you can communicate both of those things at once at the mm-hmm. top of the episode. Um, I just don't know that this show has ever really done that type of yeah. like nuanced emotion really well, either out of not being interested in doing it or not being able to pull it off. Um, I do think there's a way that you could s- just modify this episode without completely rewriting it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I do like, I really do like the idea of 
anytime a villain comes to Spider-Man for help. Because and he says he's specifically looking for, to, uh, right. for Spider-Man for help eventually. Yeah. So, like, I like that idea that's there. Like, I mean, and, and it would fit into, you know, they've done that with Mysterio this season. They they kind of did it with, like, Morbius teaming up with yeah. him this season, you know? Like, I think the idea of, like, Spider-Man kind of having to... And they did it with with Venom last season. Like, the idea of Spider-Man having to sort of reluctantly team up with, with a villain that he just fought because the villain recognizes that there's no other choice but to work with Spider-Man. That's always really fun in every scenario. And I think that there's a, there would, I, and I, and I like that aspect of this episode. Um, but I kind of, I don't know. I, I kind of wish that that was maybe a little bit hammered in. I feel like, you know, it, it, like Hobie's arc is just oh. sort of like in too many different places in this episode, I that, guess, you know, the, the, him, him turning to Spider-Man or getting to the point where he approaches Peter Parker and we get the fuller version of the story as opposed to the abridged version of it at the, at the start of the episode, like the moment that he goes to Peter uh, desperate in our sort of modified version of this, um, but still violent. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and says, I need Spider-Man. That could be the result of Hobie learning the lesson that he cannot simply just have power and control because he's literally going to somebody else that he is acknowledging as powerful i think the tweaked version is he is going to somebody he is admitting is more powerful than him like him for help which i think would be sort of the first time in this story that we're learning or that we're witnessing where he's finally admitting like okay i can't solve this by simply being the most powerful and i don't want to just work for the most powerful so maybe i have to admit that that there are powerful people i can get help from um, and yeah. that could have been the lesson that he's willing to learn after realizing his obsession with power and his narrow view on power and his unwillingness right. to acknowledge anyone else's power, um, which is not acknowledging someone else's power doesn't mean you are giving up your own or being weak, right? right? Like that's what he could have learned by realizing his, his sort of fixation lost him everything when he goes to Angela's and realizes he doesn't have any allies, right? Yeah. Like, I think there's a way that we still have all the same pieces and they just connect them in a slightly different way um, and and add a little bit of nuance <laughs> or a little bit of complex emotion here and there um, that really could have uh, really strung these pieces together. I think this is one of those episodes, like, sometimes we get an episode that's, like, a little bit messy or off kilter or whatever and it like bums me out and i'm like i don't want to talk about this one anymore and then sometimes we get one where i'm like this is so close to being such a good episode that i get like excited about it and this Mm -hmm. is one of those yeah yeah i mean i think we're you know we're we're gonna end up this is gonna end up being a pretty lengthy (laughs) lengthy one given how much (laughs) we still have left um and i think for good reason because it really is just like i mean because we have seen this show do really interesting things with like you know the 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 perspective from the perspective of people who are living a life of crime yeah um and trying to get out of it you know like we, mm-hmm. we the rocket racer one is the easiest connection to make you know and and the tombstone episode um that we referenced you know a multiple times already and it's just like those episodes i think are really effective and do some surprisingly nuanced things and have some really interesting things to say so it's like we know that the show is capable of telling like really kind of in-depth character stories uh, when these characters are in this position of being in the circle of crime and trying to break out of the yeah. break out of a, a, a you know break out of a cycle that they're stuck in, um, so it's just kind of a bummer that like when it happens at this point in a season that has been like extremely well written and like really good at finding interesting things to do with characters, it yeah. just it feels it's like a more 
it's a more obvious miss than I think it yeah. would have been if this episode it's, had happened a couple of seasons ago, you know. It's tough for me because I think they could have gotten away with just kind of like repeating what worked in those two episodes because there's so much distance between this episode and those episodes, especially sure. with this season having so many kind of contained stories and being as wacky as it is. Um, but there is part of me that really admires that they wanted, seemingly wanted to do it differently. Um, it's just unfortunate that them wanting to do it differently resulted in just a less good episode <laughs> or or yeah. a, an unclearer, muddier version of that exploration. Yeah. 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 That's all right. I talked about this already. He does learn Spider-Man survived and then he realizes Spider-Man could maybe help me out because he is powerful. I'm stuck with the Kingpin. Um, maybe I can go find Peter Parker to help me find Spider-Man. So that's kind of brings us full circle to the beginning of the episode where Prowler is attacking Peter in an attempt mm-hmm. to get to Spider-Man. Yup, yup, yup. So you know, everyone understands the full story now. So Peter does attempt to help Hobie as himself, which I uh, like because he's a, yeah, I like it a lot. He's a science dude. So he examines the suit. Um, uh, this is one of the lines that I wrote down that I think is, is, is very funny in an uncharacteristic way for this show. Um, cause Peter's like the bad news is blah, 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 basically saying that there's no way to get Hobie out of the suit. Um, and then Hobie's like, what's the good news? And Peter just says, who said there was any good news? Oh, I like I that like, too laughed out loud at that um uh and then he says uh but 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 he does actually have good news though because he says he may be able to reroute the power the power surges uh that kingpin is sending to the suit in order to encourage hobie's return so uh he agrees to quote unquote call spider-man to team up with the prowler for an old-fashioned team up Mm -hmm. and they get to work yes yes So later that night, Prowler arrives at Fisk Tower via helicopter. The implication here being that he met up with, uh, you know, Kingpin's goons and they took him back to Fisk. Um, But Spider-Man is also there secretly tagging along. We know that they do not. Um, And so when Kingpin fully overcharges the suit, debilitating Prowler, Spider-Man is able to jump in and intervene. Um, And because no one knew he was there, he's able to dropkick the remote out of Kingpin's hand. And this is the remote that has been sending those charges. Without that remote, Kingpin doesn't control Prowler, Spider-Man frees Prowler, and they can sort of uh, run off to do what they needed to do. Um, They lock themselves in this control room (laughs) where Spider-Man is able to remove the component that allows Kingpin to control Prowler's suit entirely. So like, there is just no more mechanism anymore for Kingpin to control Prowler's suit. I like that like Spider-Man does comment like when he goes to this you know, giant ass computer like <laughs> the idea that like like he says like that you know Kingpin's able is the one who's able to operate it and he's like oh Monkey McMad hands is not like a science whiz <laughs> so it's like of course yeah, like it makes a lot of sense because it's sort of like there's always that question of like Peter's a smart guy, but like you know what can he? But it's just sort of like if this fucking like dumbass like businessman can operate this machinery, <laughs> wow. I a, smi- a a science guy can do it too, and like the it's level always, like, of disrespect, Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> um also noticed notably you know what's missing from the scene a very uh, a very important uh-huh. part of of you know everything that kingpin has ever done there is not a speck of bad cgi on what that computer the fuck screen are we doing here it if just we're shows gonna like, have bad cgi on all of kingpin's computer consoles this season where's the cgi 
know. <laughs> I was so like, ready for it. <laughs> old fashioned cartoon prowler showing up on that screen. I'm like, what? Come on. Dare man. it look good. I want to see your terrible, <laughs> terrible model, like your, your terrible and- like, T pose <laughs> model of prowler in there or something. <laughs> Derek. This, this suit that Prowler is wearing literally has a self-destruct sequence and they don't use the self-destructing model in this episode. They use it in a different <laughs> episode to explode Spider-Man CGI model. Yeah. What are wow. we doing? <laughs> Man. Who's making these decisions? <laughs> uh, this is where the self-destructing action figure CGI man was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, would have made sense. Would have made a sense. cape would have been too complicated. Actually, that's probably exactly <laughs> what the problem was. No, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was so ready for some CGI and it just yeah. never happened. I actually rewound it to make sure I didn't miss any. <laughs> Me too. Me because t- I, I was like, holy shit, did it just get like really good suddenly? No, it's just not CGI. <laughs> yeah, come on, y'all. Uh, um, yeah, so, and Kingpin's men manage their way into the control room, they shoot a prowler, Spider-Man jumps in the way, taking a direct stun blast, so, Spider-Man is out down for the count at the moment, and Kingpin orders his men to obliterate the prowler, there's a really, this is another one of those lines, I told you, I made a note of all of them, because Kingpin just says, I'm off, I'm tempted to offer you one last chance, and Prowler's like, what, will you? And Kingpin just says, no, and then, like, attacks him. (laughs) Yeah, what, th- this is just the Kingpin Lies episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so weird. I love it, though. It's it's so funny. So strange. But, you know, of course, Prowler's like, hey, I actually have control over the self-destruct thing now, which means that I can choose to blow this suit to smithereens. So if you try to take me down, I'm taking everyone down with me. And Kingpin's like, all right, fine, I will let you go. Spider-Man comes to, and they thwip off. Yes. So, felt a little bit. I mean, Talk me I don't know. It. <laughs> it felt a little bit anti. Not, I guess it's not anticlimactic though, because it's like yeah, you get. I guess I was expecting a bigger action sequence with Spider-Man and and Prowler fighting something cool together. When in reality, it really. I mean, I guess this is one thing that makes it feel very backdoor piloty. Is that Spider-Man does help him to a point, but then just immediately is sort of like gets shunted off by a stun blast. Yeah. And then I do like the poetry of like, you put the self-destruct sequence on me. I'm going, or module machine control thing on me. I'm going to use it against you. And that's my final play. And that's what gets them out, gets them both out of there, you know? Yeah. So like, I do like the poetry of that. I guess it just sort of felt like, oh, okay. I guess it's over now. (laughs) Yeah, there is. I mean, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't bummed that we didn't get like a Prowler and Spider-Man versus Kingpin sequence, even just briefly. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know how you would fit it in. Necess- You'd have to kind of rearrange right. a couple events here where like would he's to, freed sure. from the suit and has an opportunity to fight before he holds them all hostage. Like this does kind of make a little bit more sense, but it just doesn't does. pack the same punch. It is very funny to me, though, him just like sitting there with like the two pieces of the belt being like, if these wires touch, don't right. come closer. Don't do right. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the next morning, Prowler thanks Spider-Man for his help and for Peter's help as well. And Spidey asks, like, hey, what's next for Hobie Brown? And Hobie replies, the only power that means anything to me now is my own power over myself. Which, cool lesson to learn. Like, hey, you've you've learned to sort of own up to yourself and just sort of move on. Just, like, live your life. You know, like, you're not, you're not 
in it to like exert power over other people. It's sort of like you have the power to make your own choices and your own decisions and live your best life. I like that as his ultimate lesson, except he, then he keeps going and he says, only other thing I know is there's a girl named Angela who's looking for a man to love. Is she? She literally said that she's getting married to a man named Henry and there's Henry <laughs> there and she doesn't want you in her life anymore. I don't think she's looking. I think she's found a man to love. What are you talking about, man? Like the one big concern that I have about like if this did end up becoming a show and Henry is in this episode to be in that show, like... I'm a little worried for what that dynamic looks like yeah. if this is his takeaway. <laughs> it may be mad because it's sort of like Angela gave a very firm boundaries. Yes. And like, I don't care. Hilby's learned whatever times. lesson he wants. Hilby has learned whatever, you know, plenty of lessons and shit, but like there are no, there's nothing, nothing that, that, uh, that is indicative of Angela. Maybe will take you back. Like, right. Come on, dude. Like move on. Especially because, yeah. okay, there's a couple things here. Like, one, I do think this episode, we, we talk about sometimes like bows on the end of episodes. This one, I think, definitely needed one because it doesn't drive home enough necessarily some of these lessons, right? Or at least the one yeah, lesson, yeah. Uh, oh, which yeah, is yeah. him sort of realizing like, and I, and I think they even could have written this better to make it clear that like power so. is good when the power is me having control over myself, my actions and my reactions. Right. That's it's almost great. like, you know, Amazing. with great power comes great responsibility. Anyway, oh my gosh. On. That's uh, such a great thing that you just said, Derek. It's I, I wish this show would have explored that in some way, shape or form. <laughs> oh wait. Um, so like there is something there that I think they really could have tied in. So I like that lesson. But what's funny is like, after talking about Angela, he says, I've sure got a lot of apologizing to do. This could have been the type of thing where he's like, I may have lost Angela or I may not be able to win back Angela, yeah. um, but I can still be a better man. I've sure got a lot of apologizing to do. Like there's still a way you can kind of get to the yeah, same yeah. place sure. and make him not completely undo the very little bit of unassholing that you did, you know? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like it, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where it's like he, you can't just tell us that he's changed and learned his lesson. Like you have seconds at this point to show us and you really dropped the ball. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to let it just be like, I've got a long road ahead of me kind of thing for him. Like this is the start of his journey to redemption. I think that's the idea, but I, I think that it doesn't feel hopeful enough because it feels like the next thing that he's going to do is do the exact same thing he's been doing yes. back before, which is going to Angela's apartment and well, and and uh, and I don't know, harassing her essentially. So Peter's I'm not engaged, a fan of that. right? So he's not being like a dumb man who treats women like shit. So someone had to step in, I and so. I guess it's Hobie in this moment. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I guess Angela Pete doesn't made... exist to be won by you, Hobie. <laughs> Sucks. I don't like it. It's a real bummer. I got so mad when I heard him say that. It was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we get one more scene. Episode ends in the coffee bean where Peter meets MJ with a bouquet of roses. Aw, sweet. And MJ's even like, oh, this is way too extravagant for me, Peter. Come on. Um, and Peter apologizes for worrying too much lately and insists that he has everything he needs. He has a line where he's sort of like, I've been letting my fears have too much power over me. Mm-hmm. Almost like the word power was the main through line and theme of this episode. And I and I do appreciate, like, I, I like that it's like, it's, you know, it's not obviously not anywhere close to a one-to-one with Hobie. They really were not on the same journey at all. But the idea of like both of them sort of having like the idea of like having, I don't know, the idea of power sort of like approaching it 
in the wrong ways where like Hobie is obsessed with the, the uh, Hobie let literally let the idea of power have power over him. Yeah. And Peter let, let his fears have power over him. But the idea of like, the only thing that you really have power over ultimately is yourself, right? Like you yeah. can make your own choices. And with Peter, it's sort of like, I can, I can make, make what I believe are the right choices for me. And, you know, and for my new life with my soon to be wife, like that is, that is the power that I have. And I need to just embrace that and not let all these other like fears and the bullshit in my head, all these intrusive thoughts tell me that I'm making the wrong decision. I know that I, that I am making the right decisions and that's the power that I have right now. Yeah. There's an extremely different version of this episode where it focuses on the both of them and how they react very differently to their obsession with power, right? Cause mm-hmm. Hobie's obsession with power is not having enough of it. Um, Peter's obsession with power is feeling powerless. Um, yes. Yes. And like, oh, there is something, to put it, yeah. there's an, ex- there, I mean, it, it would be an extremely different episode. So I'm not saying that's how this should have gone. Um, but, but the theme is, is cool. I like the theme. I, I wish that it had yeah. been more present in some way. Cause, cause yeah. coming back around to that point is clearly intentional um and and very good like that's the kind of shit that you and i love yeah 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 i I love that um i love the idea there i wish they'd really move forward with that more but you know they didn't um instead they move forward into the the final lines of this season uh with this gem so mj says maybe this marriage thing is going to work out after all and then peter says I'd bet my webbing on it, lady. And man, have I got webbing to bet before they kiss. Uh, can you explain this to me, Doug? It's come. <laughs> I don't know what Thanks. to make of it. I really don't know what to make of it. It's this. a reference it's- to something, right? There's something where it's sort of like, I, I, I'd bet my something on it, lady. And man, have I got webbing to bet. I'm assuming. I mean, I don't it know might what be the a very is. direct quote that's been tweaked and I don't know what it is, but I get the idea of it, right? Like this line made sense to me. Uh, it's not like I was questioning like the meaning of it or anything like that, but there might be a specific yeah. reference that's just missing me. I just yeah. don't like him talking about how much webbing he has, you know? I mean, good for him, but and good for her, I suppose. But <laughs> weird way to end the season. <laughs> yeah, I was just googling because you know, out of the word webbing can't be in it. I I just heard I'd bet my on it, lady. But man, have I got to bet, and nothing really came up for that. So I don't know if anyone knows what movie or something that's referencing. I'd love to know. It feels or like it could one just sure. be. It could, yeah, or it really is just like emulating because you know this is a a bit of a noir throwback thing. So maybe they're just trying to emulate, you know, sort of like that noir language, which it definitely feels like that. Um, it definitely feels like a line for like a noir or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, webbing has come and he's got lots to come and he's going to come in his wife. So that's what he's saying <laughs> right now at the end of this episode. What a great way to end the season. <laughs> I don't even know why it's so fun. Like, like the way, for some reason, the way you put that was so funny, even though I was the one who brought it up in the first place. Look, the word the word come is extremely funny it, it just is i'm sorry it's not a sexy word i think come is no. like one of the funniest words in the english language yeah it's really not yeah sexy, and especially when you talk about it on a, in context of spider-man it's a very funny yeah I don't know. Uh, Segue before that. Go, yeah. Before we get into closing thoughts, uh, I didn't pull a face of the episode. I did pull a shirt of the episode because, you know, we've talked about how the season has like 
pulled on these dangling loose threads that have existed throughout the show, tied up a bunch of knots before the final season, like really found like, you know, stuff go- dating mm-hmm, back mm-hmm. to the first season that they've like dug up, found new perspectives on revisited. It's been really cool. And one of the, one of the biggest mysteries of this show is where the hell did Peter's teal purple and white striped polo from the first season go? I've been where wondering. We have not seen it since the end of the first season. He's been in that Miami Vice like rolled up blazer pink t-shirt thing for the whole rest of the show. Where did it go? In this episode, the final episode of the fourth season, the big finale reveal, we finally know where that polo is. Because mm-hmm. apparently some guy either 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 Peter gave it away or it was stolen. Either way, this guy in the street that is angry at Spider-Man flying around in his neighborhood, flying around, swinging around in his neighborhood, is wearing Peter's old polo. We finally found it. We finally found it after you know, so long. How foolish of me to say that this episode doesn't connect back to previous episodes. How foolish of me. <laughs> it was right there all along. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because it is basically just Peter's character model because yeah. it is also a white brown haired man yeah. wearing that polo. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> they just reuse, they just like reuse his character model. I guess it's a little bit slenderer than Peter, but it's hard to tell because you only see him like in sort of like, you know, in the background a little bit. So like, yeah. even, you know, the frames that it's, I pulled are very blurry. Right. It's far but, enough away that like all these characters faces are kind of fucked up. So like you can argue yeah. like it's not Peter, but it's basically just Peter. Yeah, it's just so funny that they just like threw that in because it's such a it's such a like a I don't know that I'd say iconic, but it's such a striking and men- memorable. It's very recognizable shirt. It's a very recognizable. So the fact that they would out of all like the character packs that they have, like it's <laughs> funny that they would pull that one out. Yeah. for this background character. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. Uh, yeah. Also, it's not consistent between the two images. But I'm really digging this one guy's outfit in the orange shirt in the second image you pulled. It doesn't show in oh, the yeah. first one, but he's like tied his shirt up at the like by his belly button. Oh, that's and it's so kind funny. of a look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's kind of a look. Yeah. I yeah. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess final thoughts and final thoughts of the season too, because it's the end of the season. I know it's a weird, it's a weird, yeah. weird, end, weird place to end it on, but like um, I mean, we've talked plenty about the episode, I guess. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts about I mean, the episode. I think, I think I, I kind of got at them at one point, but like, I, I don't think this episode is, is super good. I think it has a lot of really great things going for it. And it's the kind of not great episode that I'm very excited about, uh, because of what it could be. And I think because of mm-hmm. what it could mean and how important the story they're trying to tell is. So I'm giving, it's yeah. maybe not, a, it's probably not fair to other episodes that aren't very great that I'm like, eh, fuck this episode. Um, but I actually yeah. do. I do think I like this episode for what it, what it contains that doesn't make it to screen necessarily. Um, yeah, but sure. it's not, it's not a great episode. Yeah. And I like, I, I appreciate the attempt. I think it was a yeah. cool idea to do some weird noir narration flashback stuff and having two people narrating different perspectives on the same stories, but like it is not executed well yeah. at all. It's just, it's kind of, well, it, it's, it's a little bit confusing and a little bit feels a little half-assed and rushed. Yeah. Um, and it's not, of it at least. I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened, but it has only happened maybe like 
in one other particular instance, but like mm-hmm. this, well, maybe two, I don't know, but this is another episode of the series that with the exception of Spider-Man pretty much, because like he has to be in every episode. I mean, this is an episode that is basically entirely acted by a black cast. I know Kingpin, yeah, the character sure. is not black, but his actor is. Um, and it's the type of thing that like, you know, people love to talk about how, how cartoons and superhero stories used to be completely forgetting that like, it was there all along. These these people existed all along in your stories. Absolutely. You're just choosing to forget that they existed and had stories and perspectives. And this is one of the episodes where it's really obvious when you're willing to see it um, and should be obvious even if you're not looking for it. Um, yeah. So, like, that's cool. It doesn't make the episode necessarily better or worse, but, like, it is cool. I think it's really cool that we got, like, three episodes in a row of, like, episodes that either, like, either spotlighted women or mm-hmm. spotlighted black people in in, yeah. in in yeah in in the in the show that like is like oh the cool 90s show i wish things were like this again like oh well they were woke back then too sorry yeah (laughs) like maybe you don't remember (laughs) and it's not a secret based on what we know of john semper's goals for the series right like it wasn't an accident like it it wasn't some like john semper had a very intentional agenda with some of this stuff like right like 100 percent it was definitely trying to get the stuff on screen you know like so yeah it's it's been there for it's all been there it's all there mm-hmm. i mean that's nothing new you're also the comics were yeah. also dealt with this shit more than people uh, give them credit for yeah. too so um <laughs> more so than know, probably we, a lot of the tv shows <laughs> yeah for sure so you know it's it's nothing it's not a new conversation but it's just yeah. it's always funny every single time we come upon it especially in this show of all shows mm-hmm. so yeah so it's it's yeah. a, it, there's a lot of cool stuff here but it's it's a weird episode to end on because it's not an especially strong episode yeah, yeah. That it is it, it's a it's a not strong episode for I think a very strong season. I think the seasons we I, we've talked about it at length yeah. a lot, but like the season has been so fascinating. I think at the end of the day, it is a definitely a weird one that like I I think I do we talked we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but like I think I understand why people a lot of people maybe wouldn't list this among like is their like top favorite or like oh, totally. top couple of favorites I definitely just because get it. Right, because it is a weird one. It is ma- basically a season full of standalones with some light, co- like light uh, continuity in between them, and like the most arc that we get is like the Black Cat episodes, and even them, in even those episodes, aside from introduction, were kind of just like standalones that happen to have Black Cat at the center, yeah. rather than really being an arc, you know. Um, so I, I understand if you're looking for the serialization and like the, you know, beginning, middle and end of like season two and season three, you're not getting that here. Mm-hmm. But every single episode has been so interesting. And I really love that every episode was kind of a banger or if it wasn't a banger, it was at least obviously trying to do something interesting. And they made so many strides with like really just playing with their continuity and the stuff that they'd set up over the last three seasons and coming to really fun conclusions and, and, and going in in interesting directions. Yeah. Um, I I would, I would amend by saying 10 out of 11 are either bangers or are doing something really cool. Partners really is, is like, there's a lot of stuff in there. That's kind of (laughs) unforgivable. No, it is. But I think, but I think partners was still like, there was something they were, they were, 
they were trying to do interesting stuff, I think, potentially. I mean, we have our own theory for, like, there's a version of that episode that made sense and it was, like, completely redone. You yeah. just listen out of that episode. So I think that, like, there is a core of that episode where, like, they're trying – I mean, just the idea of, like, trying to have, like, Scorpion and Vulture as roommates with Scorpion's girlfriend who loves him and Scorpion's trying okay, to go that street. Does like, all that stuff <laughs> is, fun, is, is fun as hell. I love that aspect yeah. of it, you know? So there isn't an episode this season that doesn't have something interesting about it. Very, I don't feel very, like there's ever – the series cannot there's, say the same as a whole. Right. There's not an episode where it feels like they were asleep at the wheel. It feels like every everything at least started with a really, really good or compelling idea. Whether or not it was all executed, you know, well every time isn't, you know, isn't the case. But, like, there isn't really, like, I don't know, like, the most mid-tier episodes were still the Lizard King and the Prowler episode. And both of these episodes do, like, wa- some wild shit if, in them, you know? If so, nothing else, all of them feel distinctly inspired, right? Like, the execution mm-hmm. might have been bad, yeah. like, with the, with, in the case of Partners. But, like you said, the Scorpion Vulture thing is inspired, for sure. Yeah. Like, that came from absolutely. somewhere kind of strange and unique, and I like that. Yeah, now, before we like wrap it up, wrap up, wrap up. The other thing that I wanted to ask you, I think you brought it up. Oh, I was like, going to ask you, so let's do this. The title, the title <laughs> of the show, the title, our title yeah. of the season, yeah. "Partners in Danger." Yeah. Do we feel like it, it carries the weight that, or carries any weight, or like how do, how do we evaluate it as? Because I mean, the whole season is named "Partners in Danger." Yes. It, like effectively, I, is the name of an arc, an eleven episode yeah. arc, and I don't know if I would have necessarily you know, considered this whole season one arc, uh, but they did. So let's talk about like, does it all fit? I think the name is headier than the past couple have been. I think like Neogenic Nightmare is obvious. Sins of the Fathers obviously is a little more vague, but I think it seemed like they made a lot more attempts to, it it, more obvious attempts to have a lot of father, father or father figure relationships. And obviously Green Goblin is kind of like the big bad of that season is the ultimate like bad dad. So that all makes sense. Um, I think for this one, it's a little headier, but I do think it all does make sense because you have the first, it opens with guilty, which I think is, is basically uh, ends up being like Spider-Man and J Jonah Jameson have to kind of be partners to save Robbie. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you get the, Black Cat arc, which is Black Cat, obviously is his partner. With Everything other partners included, with Craven with and other Stalker partners included. And, uh, Black Cat and the Cat. Black Cat and the Cat, Black Cat and Morbius, everything in the Blade episode, everybody's partnering with other people. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned before, Scorpion and Vulture <laughs> and even like um, Silvermane t- teaming up with Smythe, like all those episodes still have partners inside them. Once black cat leaves, it gets interesting because then immediately after she leaves is the episode where Mary Jane comes back at the very end. Mm -hmm. I think the actual return of the green goblin episode, there isn't a partnery thing in there because Spider-Man and, and Punisher aren't really partners, but Mary Jane is at the end of it. So that's introducing this new arc, which is Mary Jane as, as Peter Parker's partner, like literal, like partner in love, you know, but yeah. also partner to Spider-Man in, 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 in the Lizard King way. as well. Like a way that in she a new couldn't way. have been previously. Right. That only happens because of the events leading up to that episode. So there is still like a through line from the end of season three to mm-hmm. that point where she can become his real partner in danger where she's not literally in danger, but like her, their partners going into danger together, you know, yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. together. And that extends to this, this episode. And then this episode, not only is there the Mary Jane aspect, but it does end with Spider-Man teaming up with the Prowler. So teaming up know, with the Prowler either- and confronting sort of his own, sort of uh, anxiety or neurosis or whatever Mm -hmm. about the partnership that he has been trying to adjust to with Mary Jane. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. So I think on those terms, all of those things actually work. I think it's actually a more cohesive title than you would expect it to be. And I don't think I, think I was the, the, like reaching too much. No, to no, no. I think sense. the only reach and I, it's, I don't think it's a bad one because the episode itself is very good. And sometimes you just got to have a banger in there that leads into something else. The, the you're right. And that the goblin one really doesn't fit like partners theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, you know, it does end with the introduction of, of the arc that is very partner centric. Um, exactly. So it's, it's fine. It's a good episode. If it were like not a good episode and didn't fit the theme, I'd be like, get out of here. Um, yeah, but it's fine. Right, it's right. fine. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I think there's, um, if you allow for it not to mean simply one thing, then I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a through line, even if you do uh, allow it to mean more than one thing, like a lot of what it has to do with is just sort of like navigating unexpected partnerships, changes in partnerships, um, loss of partnerships, uh, yeah. recovering from part, like there's just a lot of, I mean, it, the, the relationships of the one-on-one really sort of shine in this. Um, even when they're yeah. not necessarily like spotlighted in the way you might expect. Yeah. It's a season where Spider-Man just, it really is, is less of a loner than he's ever been. Even when he's at like low points and feels lonely yeah. there it, it's, he is constantly like working with other people or dealing with like new relationships or changing relationships with other people. And I think, like, I think, it, and I think because so much of this season relies on building upon the foundation that already exists or tying up loose ends. It doesn't feel like a season that's like cynical, like cynically full of team ups. You know what I mean? Like there's a way to oh, do a sure. season where it's just like every episode is a team up and like, we get it. Um, this is not that because we know all these characters for the most part. Right. So like, mm. even though it is a very team up heavy season, um, it doesn't feel cynical or like, uh, uh you know, let like ultimate feels like that where it's like, show the hero, yeah. show them off. Like, here's our guest. This is from another part of the Marvel universe. Like, look at them. This doesn't really ever <laughs> feel like that. No, not at all. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I think it's, it's very successful in that regard. Yeah. 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 It's like wild. It. I, like I really like this season a lot. I wouldn't have expected it based on how little I remembered from it. Um, and I, and, and like you said, I totally get where it wouldn't be people's favorites. Cause I think what people do remember of this show is doing some of the serialization really, really well, but I would challenge people, uh, really, if you, for some reason were like, eh, I'll listen to the fourth season coverage, but it's not my favorite. So I'm not gonna go back and rewatch it. Do it. I think it's really worth it. Yeah, I think it's really it's fun. Really fun. Good. And you can yeah. kind of pick and choose for them. I mean, the, the black cat ones, sometimes you want to just get the whole story, but even the black cat, you can kind of just pick them and watch them. Um, yeah. And get a good time out of even just individual episodes. Yeah, absolutely. That's the benefit of them doing so many, you know, making their episodes really, I, I shouldn't even say standalone because they're all tied into past thing events from the show, but like, uh, relatively contained. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're very contained. Like they're very contained individual stories that just happen to be pulling from a lot of past events. Yeah. in every case. Yeah, so. that's a fun one. Yeah, yeah. What a fun season! Yeah. I I can't believe that we are already at the end of it. I mean, I know it's a shorter season, but it really felt like it flew by. Yeah, so. I, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I, me too. I've had a lot of fun with it. I yeah. this uh. I mean, this, I, I don't know, because this would be a bold thing to say off the jump, but I do think this is one okay. of uh, the seasons we've had the most fun covering of the series uh, yeah. that we have and seasons that we have, have uh, watched. 
I I think I think for me it's been the most fun because I think every other season there's always been something daunting about it yeah. and this one never felt like that. This one just felt so breezy. Like it's just been it's been so easy to talk about it. That's and a great point. Not to say and not to say that they're that the episodes don't have depth to them, but it, that it's just like immediately you walk away from every episode being like. I have so many things to talk about right now about this thing. And you could not say that about some episodes in past seasons. Mm -hmm. I think season three comes close to it because that was a really well-structured season and had a lot of just, just had a lot of really great story threads in it. But even then there's a difference between like tracking story threads throughout a season versus like, Every individual episode is like its own little mini movie. Well, I think breezy was a perfect word because like season three comes with at least some amount of pressure for that reason, right? Like I felt no pressure Mm -hmm. going into this season at all. And like even even sort of episode to episode, I still didn't feel a ton of pressure. Like Spectacular is amazing and, 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 you know, among our favorites, if not our favorite, right? Like, uh, but there's almost a pressure that comes with that one or like. Yeah, it can um, be hard. Yeah, yeah. Or older show. Like there's just interesting things. For some reason, this season just like, like breezy feels like the perfect word and and for it to be breezy and have just tons of stuff to like dig into uh like a meal kind of every week like mm, that's top notch i agree i agree love it i love it too you know what else is top notch dessert <laughs> i was gonna say our patreon but dessert <laughs> is too yeah sure yeah. follow through with the meal thing you know if you like this yeah, meal I've- Mm-hmm. then oh yeah go to our patreon for dessert that is a great way to put it yeah yeah pa- patreon.com slash swapping up snappers we got plenty of bonus episodes and stuff we plugged it last week um we did record another one since we recorded that we we did record another my adventures of superman yeah. episode it'll be out by the so time that'll this drop one drops okay cool i wasn't i wasn't gonna put any pressure on you for editing it no. but if you yeah if we want to go yeah sure then that's awesome so there'll be another <laughs> my adventures of superman episode on our patreon we're gonna keep covering that show until it ends um as well as plenty of other stuff on our patreon as well yeah. so check that out also check out our discord you got a link to that in our show notes if you want to connect with other listeners and chat with us but if you want to find us individually where can we find you Doug? you can find me all over the place at icky bully i-c-k-y-b-o-o-l-e-y you can also listen to me on a podcast called victory road it's a pokemon podcast and a podcast called novel gaming where my friend katie and i get together and catch up on all the media we've been consuming lately what about you derek Sure. You can find me most active on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can find me on other places, either under that name or under Dare Bear, under Mr. Dare Bear. Um, You can also find my podcast gimmicks where me and my co-host David look at the high concept structure breaking experimental gimmicky episodes of television with a different show for every episode. And of course, find that anywhere you get your podcasts. I would also say follow me on Twitch at Mr. Dare Bear and where I stream um, original airings of of TV uh, taped on VHS. So if you like the old school lo-fi look of VHS, um, <laughs> it's uh, I have a whole big catalog of original airings of TV shows complete with the original commercials and bumpers. So a uh, great big nostalgia bomb seeing a lot of old commercials from as early as the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so I usually stream on like Thursday nights and Sundays uh, sometimes. Just follow me and and you can uh, find those whenever they pop up. Uh, for more from Doug and I together, uh, check out our monthly podcast. If you haven't, it is Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon where we watched every Pixar film chronologically. All those episodes to date up through Elemental are out right now under the Falling with Style feed wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can also f- visit our website, wallopingwebsnappers.com, where we have a full archive of all of our episodes of both Walloping Web Snappers and Falling with Style. You can also follow us on social media at wallopingwebpod or email us wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. Of course, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. And next week... This is really interesting and kind of a kind of a curveball. Mm-hmm. Some of you might not even know what this is because we're actually looking at the very first appearance of Spider-Man in live action. <gasps> what? We're not doing a cartoon. Guess. And the very first appearance of Spider-Man in live action was actually in the show The Electric Company in the 70s in their Spidey Super Stories. So um, if you've never heard of that, because if because you're a youngin. You're going to have a lot of fun with this because this is going to be really fun to talk about. I'm excited. Yep. 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 Going to be a learning experience oh, for yeah. some of us probably. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. See you then. See you then. Spider-Man.